Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. My New Year's resolution is to make sure that the Republican Party dies. Did you ever have a romance with Beatty? No, not really. <laughs> no? Uh, what about Steve... I mean, Le- you don't have to answer any of his questions. Just well, ignore the question. Uh, Steve Press. McQueen. Unfortunately not with no. Steve McQueen. He no. Oh my God, Steve, Steve McQueen. McQueen. Wow. Was, the way he tugged his vest down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, yeah. was, so was cool. he as cool as we all yeah. thought that yeah. he... He was. Yes. He was. He was very chauvinistic, though. Uh, Allie, really? he felt, should have children all the time and do nothing else. Uh, but that's okay. All right. <laughs> um... Marlon Brando. He's one of the great artists of all time. Yeah. And he's so, it, working with him, he's just so inventive. My mom hooked up with him. She did? With hot Marlon Brando, not like Apocalypse Now Marlon Brando. Oh, she, uh, she hooked up with like, uh, I think it was uh, on the waterfront Marlon Brando. Wow. She, she and Carol Mathau both watched the movie Lucky and lady. both made a yeah. deal that they were going to meet up. <laughs> did they really? Yeah, Carol You're did not it. kidding. Carol got it first and then set it up for my mom. It was a one-night date. <laughs> oh, come on. Yes. No, and apparently, no shame as, in that as my mom left in the car, he put his hand on the car and pressed his face against the door and said, you have Japanese skin. I don't, I don't know what that means. Wow. But that's... Well, she well, does. Yeah. Yes, it's our hourly toast. Not making it any less Another fun. Toast. Cheers. Cheers Another if toast. you have at home. If you Not if you're driving, but feel free to toast along with us. Absolutely. Um, you know what? Everybody ah, here seems to be ah, having a great time. He's ah, not a good drinker. Ah, it's like burning your lungs. Ah, burning your lungs. Feels good to me. This has been an incredible night. It's really Thank you so much yeah. for having me. It's been so fun. Um, and I look forward to a great year. Thank you, Richard. Uh, the best for everybody in 2019. Yes. Uh, what Thank a great you so night. much for joining us. And yeah. It's really... I, uh, I, 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 I if a I could just say, about the umbrella, yes. but I came back. I, I could also just say one other thing. I don't want to bring it down at all, but uh, as a kid, I used to watch this show. I used to watch uh, New Year's Eve in Times Square, Dick Clark, and... Um, uh, my my dad died five on uh, January fifth, and I remember the year Jan June excuse me uh, January first of that year nineteen seventy eight watching this with great fear and sadness because I knew something bad was going to happen, and I think there's a lot of people who watch on New Year's Eve. It a lot of people it brings a lot of people down because uh, they're alone or they're not where they want to be in life, um, and I just think it's always important to kind of acknowledge that uh, there's a lot of us out there who feel that way and that you're there and we see you and uh, let's hope the new year uh, brings better things and uh, you're not alone. So thank you very much for being with us. Every friend was once a stranger. That is true. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 3rd of January, year of our Lord, 2019. And that intro was the train wreck that was CNN's New Year's Eve. And as you saw, they literally, because of who they are, what they really are about, which is not news, it's about democratic agenda and identity politics, and, you know, they ensured they had nothing but gay people, they had the transgender Coral Gables craziness, you heard the little speech by there by uh, Anderson Cooper. 
but it was just a train wreck. Uh, me and my wife stayed up to about 10.30, a new PR. You know, we used to go to bed earlier than that. We decided to stay up. Gigi got a, Gigi got a little tipsy. She actually drank two glasses of champagne. That's a fucking PR, I tell you what. And, um, you know, we saw the Jane Curtin New Year's resolution is that the Republican Party dies. They aired that. Now, understand that was pre-taped. Pre-taped taped that wasn't live they knew they were going to air that and they chose to air it but brooke baldwin and don lemon drunk off their ass drinking tito's is what they kept talking about some kind of vodka it was oh my god then you had lila santiago Discussed sexually charged subject matter during CNN's New Year's Eve coverage on Monday night in front of a small child. With a young girl standing right behind her, Santiago asked people about the color of their underwear and said wearing red is good for the love. I don't want to talk about one more tradition. I do want to talk about one more tradition, Santiago said. And that is, if you wear red underwear, if you wear red underwear, it is good for love in 2019. There's a little kid right next to her. And here's the deal. I don't care. I'm not a prude. I don't give a fuck if you got fucked up. You know, I'm not a hypocrite. Uh, more than once in my lifetime, I've been blackout drunk. Um, from a period of about 2003 to 2005, I would have been classified as an alcoholic. I drink a liter bottle of Jack Daniels. Friday and Saturday night. You know, those two days. Whole leader, gone. I'd pork it down. But these are the people that go on your TV and tell you you're horrible for wrong think. These are the people that unless you're Americans that were all pieces of shit. These are the people that are supposed to be the moral standard bearer. If you read their tweets, people literally just kind of, oh, it's so good to see this. I live for this. But it wasn't the worst. That's the problem. Me and my wife, you know, we watched a little classic New Year's Eve stuff from Dick Clark back in the day. And we remarked that, you know, it was made for everybody. You had some old acts, some new acts. It wasn't just the young kids. Now, I don't know who watches it because it's just so bad. They put no effort in it. And we watched the Fox one. For a little bit, and Steve Harvey, who I like, you know, because I watch his, you know, kids, whatever the kids show he is, um, that's a good one. NBC was just the worst. This is, I'm embarrassed for America watching Chrissy Teigen talk about vaginal steaming. NBC's New Year's coverage is not getting the response execs were going for, that is, unless they wanted NBC to be trending with vaginal steaming and dumpster fire. Yeah, you read the first one right. After a face collide with comedian Leslie Jones' umbrella to kick the night off, former Sports Illustrated swimsuit model Chrissy Teigen decided that 15 minutes before the ball drop was the perfect time to tell co-host Carson Daly and the world about the wonders of vaginal steaming. 
When the ball finally did drop, NBC somehow managed to fail to actually show it. Even guest star appearances by Tegan's husband, John Lennon, Diana Ross, Jennifer Lopez, and Kelly Clarkson weren't enough to keep viewers tuned in. In case you missed it, Tegan has publicly addressed her personal experience with vaginal steaming before, posting the following photographic evidence on Instagram where she's sitting over a bucket of water. NBC got some unasked for feedback on its embarrassing train wreck coverage on sports social media. Most commenters unable to get over Tegan's antic and dropping the ball. I'm embarrassed for America watching Chris and Tegan talk about vaginal steaming. Way to help me ring in the new year with your family. Turning to Fox now. Literally 10 seconds into the New Year's show is NBC and, and immediately the loud, that loud for nothing Chrissy Teigen is shouting, we hear, we hear, and doing some drunken naked leg posing. We hear kind of set the tone. No thanks. Sorry, Carson Daly. I'm out. Hashtag NBC, hashtag New Year's Eve. Way to go, NBC, for dropping the ball. Watched the show and didn't see the ball, but heard about vaginal seating. Another one, NBC, this is the worst New Year's show ever. Jennifer Hughes. I'm embarrassed for America. Okay, they've already put this in three times. Um, Hashtag NBC dropped the ball on this one. No countdown on the TV. Thanks. Happy New Year. So Cal native. Unbelievable. Literally 10 seconds of New Year's show. Blah, blah, blah. We hear, we hear. And they go back. I mean, this is... They just got fucking hosed. But I, I still have to go back to... CNN, why would you air somebody saying the Republican Party dies? You know why? Because another tweet I got from Tommy Lahren, who I don't follow, but she's always in my feed for some reason. This is the stuff they did for Christmas. The resistance. Kathy Griffin sold out. Fuck Trump Christmas ornaments. Fuck Trump shirts. Fuck Trump hats. Fuck Trump keychain. Laugh your head off to her t-shirt. Pictures of Kathy Griffin holding the earth instead of Trump's head. A keychain that is prison Trump air freshener where he's peed his pants. And Peach Brett. She has a merch store that literally is the resistance wet drain. That's the resistance. I mean, that's just who they are. Simultaneously, they brought in Allison Camarada who was somehow selected as a journalist, which I still, once again, just want to go back and reiterate. She was on Fox and she was a conservative. Then she was over on CNN. Now she's a liberal. I don't think she knows what she knows or what she feels or anything. Journalist to drop New Year's Eve ball. Leading journalists will ring in the New Year Monday in New York Times Square as an annual ball drop. Watch globally by billions. A group of reporters and editors will appear on stage just before midnight to push the button that officially begins a 60-second countdown. In one of the world's most famous public squares, fitting to celebrate free press and free speech as we reflect on where we've been during the past year and what, is, what it is we value most as a society. Times uh, Square Alliance. I don't know what the fuck that is. Time editor and CEO, Edward Fezenthal. Karen 
Atia, Global Opinion Editor, The Washington Post, Rebecca Blumenstein, Deputy Managing Editor of the New York Times, Allison Camerata, anchor CNN New Day, Valdemar Duthier, anchor CBSN, and correspondent CBS News, Lester Holt, NBC Nightly News, Matt Murray, Editor-in-Chief of the Wall Street Journal, Martha Raddatz, Global Chief Affair Correspondent, ABC News, Maria Russer, uh, Chief Executive Officer and Executive Editor of Rappler, and John Scott, Fox Report Weekend, Karen Tulin, Editor, Bloomberg News, and Joel Simon, Executive Director of the Committee to Protect Journalists. So, yeah, that's that's how we dropped the ball because, you know, journalists are dying left and right. We talked about that, but she came on the air. She, it was a big honor for her because I think she knows in her soul she's not a journalist. She, You know, plug her in, put her into fucking Russia. She'd be great on Pravda. Vox explained 2018 through photographs, which is actually not a bad idea, and some of them were beautiful pictures. But this is how they did it, and this is just peak 2018. 2018 explained in pictures by women and non-binary photographers. The lead photo, of course, is more than goddamn fucking handmaids. This editor is starting to feel like a mean old lady down the street who doesn't know what the hell is wrong with these kids today. Holy hell, from Vox. News photography is an industry dominated by men, especially the wire services like AP Images and Getty Images, with most newsrooms relying on visual coverage. These wire services drive most of our visual news consumption. And that problem is especially stark in the annual year in pictures gallery that most news organizations publish every December. Here's a thread by Daniel Zachman of Women's Photographer chronicling the gender disparity in the year in pictures gallery. Overall, the numbers are frustratingly grim. Somebody tweets, What makes a non-binary photographer different from what we used to call just a photographer? Non-binary is a way to include men because you don't think women were good enough on their own? Their article, let me see. The fact that photojournalism 2018 was a year many brave women spoke out about gender and racial disparity within our industry and the rampant harassment many face in order to do their work. Nowhere in there do they say, hey, this is our problem because we're journalists and it was all with journalists. I mean, how many journalists went down in 2018? They're all liberals. That pretty much sums it up. Then U.S. Strategic Command had the best fucking tweet. I was going to put it as a tweet of the day, but um, I'm putting it in this section. Hashtag Times Square tradition. Ring in the hashtag New Year by dropping the big ball. If you ever need, if ever needed, we are ready to drop something much, much bigger. Watch to the end. Air Force Global Strike, Whiteman Air Force Base, Deterrence, Assurance, Combat Ready Force, Peace is our profession. And they had a picture of a stealth bomber. The world lost it. They had to pull it off. I was just like, Jesus Christ. That was the best tweet ever. It reminded me of the Moab. <laughs> when the Moab was dropped in, what was that, 2017? Trump dropped a Moab and the world was coming to an end. But I had an article for the year in review and I saved it for now because I wanted to give it a front row seat you know we're in the new year much like the old year 
Bree Payton, beloved staff writer at the Federalist, has passed away. I'm going to read this article because I need to frame what happened. Bree Payton, our beloved staff writer at the Federalist, passed away on Friday in San Diego, California, following a sudden Ill- illness. Bree was born in California on June 8, 1992, to George and Cindy Payton. She received her high school diploma from Western Christian High School Private Satellite Program. She graduated from Patrick Henry College in 2015 with a degree in journalism. Bree joined the Federalist in April of 2015. In the space of just a few years, she became a rising star on cable news, regularly featured on political commentator on Fox News, Fox Business, and OWN. Bree brightened the lives of everyone around her. She was joyful, hardworking, compassionate. She leaves behind friends and colleagues for whom she brought nothing but sweetness and light. Though we are heartbroken and devastated by Bree's death, we are comforted in the knowledge that she was a woman who lived a life marked by deep Christian faith, trusting in our Savior, Jesus Christ, and God who promises the way our story ends is that he will wipe away tears from our eyes and death shall be no more. She's survived by her family, blah, blah, blah. So she's a journalist, but she's a conservative journalist. You've seen her. We've read her articles on the show. AP publishes garbage obituary of the Federalist Bree Payton. It was announced Federalist staff writer frequent Fox Business and Fox News guest the young conservative leader Bree Payton had suddenly passed away at age 26 after being found unresponsive Tuesday morning with what her doctors diagnosed as meningitis and the swine flu. Poignant tributes poured in from conservative movement both Friday morning and afterwards first came out about the incident or death ranging from the Federalist, the Washington Examiner, Fox News, Mediaite, the Rap. The Associated Press also published one but it wasn't so friendly. The AP story followed the normal structure for news obituary with the lead that described her as a writer for the conservative news site The Federalist and a frequent guest on Fox News and media other media outlets when she died and her age. The next two paragraphs stated how the news was announced as by The Federalist and Payton's friend Morgan Murho, plus the alleged cause of death. From paragraph 5 to the end, everything was well and good, but the fourth paragraph is where the AP lost all sense of decency, boiling down Payton's work this way. In recent appearance on Fox News, Payton had condemned what she called fake news media coverage of President Donald Trump and sexist and bigoted coverage of First Lady Melania Trump. Numerous friends and fellow colleagues in conservative media, including this one, have pointed out the AP reduced Payton's professional work to that lone, measly, tasteless sentence marked the epitome of unprofessionalism. If the AP had checked her bio on the Federalist, they find the slew of places to mention. She appeared on Fox News, MSDNC, CNN, NPR, BBC World News, among others, and her work had been featured on the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, Digital Signal, Daily Signal, The World Magazine, to name a few. Since the AP won't do that, here's headlines and links to the small sampling of Peyton's Post. How Mark Twain created the greatest American hero. Washington Post columnist Jennifer Rubin runs away when asked how she's a conservative. Jim Acosta's self-important martyr routine is growing stale. I'm thankful for these nine heroes braving California's devastating fires. Two million art above homeless tent encampment and highlights D.C.'s problem. The Joy Reid saga. Why studying the classic is crucial to understanding the human spirit. Ten things we saw at the 2018 Women's March. Seven things we saw at the March for Life in Washington. 
And along with Peyton having cited Newsbusters on numerous occasions, we at Newbusters were privileged to cite our trusted reporting and analysts. A link to stories that cited or can be found here. While Peyton Sutton's death has shaken countless people, the Federalist staff post noted, along with others who knew and knew of her, that she was a devout Christian and a believer in Jesus Christ, which is another reason why the AP didn't like her. Though we are broken and devastated by Bree's death, we're comforted in the knowledge that she was a woman who lived a life marked by deep Christian faith, trusting in her Savior Jesus Christ, the God who promised the way our story ends, he'll wipe away the tears. Casey Dillon. Why is this necessary, AP? Bree Payton died suddenly at a very young age and you're politicizing it? Another tweeter. They knew exactly what they were doing when they reduced her body of work to a particular comment. One might even call it a dog whistle. Robbie Sove. Though the AP reduced Bree Payton's journalistic output to condemn fake news media, she should be remembered as a prolific writer as well as a pundit. See her fantastic article on the homeless problem, DC's Noma, where both of us lived. But as usual... The media doesn't treat conservatives with dignity and respect when they die. We know what AP did to Bush 41. Here's a blue check journalist, Rob Rose. If you devote your life to gleefully stepping on the necks of marginalized people and then die in a a somewhat comical fashion, some people are going to chuckle at it. Sorry, that's just the way it goes. At first I was like, wow, she's kind of young, that's mean. And then I remember only two people of all my living family members aren't under crushing medical debt. So do rest in piss, my good friend. Somebody summed it all up. If you have a different political view than me, it must be because you're a terrible monster. I can't wait to dunk on you when you die. I'm a moral person. When you get this point, you need to take a deep dumpster dive as to why... It is, you're such a piece of shit as a person. No, you're a ghoulish, heartless person. There are very few people I will not I will not be sad about when they die. Those being serial killers, murdering dictators and the like. This is disgusting of you. But he wasn't the only one. I'm going to laugh at that dumbass Federalist writer dying of the flu after posting vaccines are from the devil. And frankly, every Federalist writer should suffer an equally ironic fate. He tried to delete it. K. Thor Jensen, another verified blue check. In 2011, she wrote a tweet about vaccines. She was a kid. She was 19 years old. And I want to make sure you understand the no vaccine thing isn't the right. That's the left. But all of a sudden, because Trump said something, it's now the right. Cody Holt, the left. Republicans are evil. We are the truly compassionate, loving people. When they go low, we go high. Also the left. Dunking on a young woman's death because of a tongue-in-cheek tweak because everything is politics and we have no dignity. (laughs) He's so right. Perez Hilton joined in. This was her tweet. L.A. Times, whooping cough, state urges more people to get vaccinated. Her, no, vaccines are from the devil. 19. She was 19 when she wrote that. 
Perez Hilton. So very sad, journalist Bree Payton passed away a few days ago at 26-year-old from H1N1 flu and meningitis. If she would have been vaccinated, she may still be alive. Vaccina- vaccinations save lives. Joe Pilot. She posted that in 2011 when she was 19 and no further anti-vaccine comments. B, even an active anti-vaccine conspiracy theorist doesn't deserve to die like she did. C, seek help. But what I want to remind everybody is Twitter rules. You may not make specific threats of violence or wish for the serious physical harm, death, or disease of an individual group or people. The left did it. I could read you thousands of tweets. Just because she was conservative. But I want to make sure you understand, she's also a cisgendered woman. So in the believe all people, I mean, take this, put it next to Vox, the year of women And the left's just a bunch of fucking hypocrites. You don't care about all women. You don't want everybody to believe women. Just your women. So, I, I have no skin in the game. I grabbed the article not because I, you know, knew her work. I know we've, I've read her name because we've done articles she wrote. But it's just the duality of how horrible the left is on everything. They they can't even have a Christmas tree without fuck Trump Christmas ornaments. And I'm not even giving enough weight to that because it's just so pathetically sad because you and I both know on both of these cases, if you have a fuck Obama Christmas ornament on your tree, you're a fucking racist, you will be doxxed. And when Katie Tour dies, let you say something on Twitter about her death. Well, maybe if she didn't let fucking Keith Overman put his dick in her, she wouldn't die. I'd be banned. Suspended. Until I remove the tweet. They're just fucking hypocrites. So, let's fire for effect. I mean, Nia, he's the president. The Republicans control the House and the Senate. These children died on his watch. I mean, not to cast any blame. It does seem that he thinks it is a reliable strategy to gin up uh, fear-mongering and hate uh, against any others beyond our border, and in particular, uh, Muslims and uh, people from Mexico and Central America. That has been a repeated strategy of his. It is a uh, an old playbook 
both parties have used, but particularly Republicans. Uh, it is a race-based, otherizing, dehumanizing politics of fear-mongering that he's taken to a whole other level. And, and here it's really actually important to point out two things. One, that, for instance, those migrants in the caravan coming to the United States, they're not coming, uh, quote-unquote, illegally. These are not uh, undocumented folks. These are folks who are following the rules, who are coming to the border, presenting themselves at the border to claim asylum in keeping with our laws and rules, rules that Trump has tried to single-handedly change and then tear gas people. But but he's portraying this as, a, as an issue. Meanwhile, by the way, if you actually look, I'm a proud descendant of immigrants uh, and think immigration makes our country strong. But two-thirds of undocumented immigrants in our country uh, are here because of overstaying their visas, situations that an actual comprehensive immigration proposal would fix. But he has no interest in that. He just wants to gin up fear and hate at the border. David, quickly, uh, how do you see this ending? It seems as though we were initially talking about days. Now it looks like weeks. Could it be months before they resolve this problem? Look, I mean, like, th theoretically, sure, it could be months. You know, the deeper these, these uh, shutdowns get, the more entrenched both parties get. And then eventually what happens is the voters decide one party is to blame, uh, one faction is to blame, and the other side eventually realizes they just got to get out of it and move on. And that's probably how this will play out. I think two things are important here that I understand. One, the president had a Republican House and Senate for two years, and he never really pushed a comprehensive legislative program to try and deal with immigration the way he would like to see it dealt with. And I think that's a big missed opportunity. And, and it signals that you're not going to be able, you're not going to see much more than that in the next two years with Democrats in control of the House. The other thing, in talking to Republicans after the midterm elections, they found that in the final weeks of that campaign, the president's rhetoric about the caravan, about birthright citizenship, and about the wall actually hurt Republicans in the House and made that majority on the Democratic side bigger than it might have otherwise been. And so I don't think that calculations about where the president is on this on the right is necessarily putting him in a good place for 2020. This could all change in the months ahead. Democrats are going to have more responsibility for governing now that they're in control of the House. They won't be able to just blame Republicans. But for now, the president is not in the best place as he thinks he is. Right. It almost seems in many ways that once Democrats take control, this process restarts itself all over again. And it could mean that it's going to be an even longer process. What we have is a bunch of complicit people who are all there for their own reasons. So they all have their pet issues that they care about. Maybe for Kelly it was Afghanistan. Maybe for, uh, you know, who knows what Jared wanted or what Sarah Huckabee Sanders wants. They all have their pet issues, but nobody is willing to do the hard work of standing up to this president and stopping him. When you look at his tweet, and like when Kelly says, oh, I have compassion, that is a lot. That is no... But he's lying. He's, he, has, he has no compassion for these people. Look at Trump's tweets. I think people would be more outraged by them if we reported them in their original German. He is blaming... But Kelly, in this interview, to, get, to give him the benefit of the doubt in the interview, he does address the situation that is happening What did he do when he was? South what America. did he do when he was in, when he was Which in is, power? But, but, but think about this. It's interesting to see an interview like this where he addresses the issue and says we have to, we have to sort of build up the economies in countries like that. When you have a president who he used to work for, uh, you know, tweeting out a couple of days ago or so where he says he's going to withdraw funding from countries like mm -hmm. Guatemala and Honduras unless they do something to stop uh, these immigrants from coming to our country. I mean, can we just remember that John Kelly didn't just appear on the scene, okay? He was involved with the Southern Command. Southern Command oversees all of the military operations from Mexico 
to the point of Argentina, the most southernmost point. So you're thinking, well, what does that have to do with it? That means that he understands exactly what's been happening with Central America, not over the past five years, over the past 10 years. We're talking about over the past 100 years, or let's just say since the mid-1980s, when the United States was sending over a million dollars a day into El Salvador. So why am I bringing this up? Because it's all connected. For him to kind of say, like, oh, you know, I care so much. By the way, he didn't. In that interview, he immediately says, first of all, he calls them illegal immigrants. There's no such thing as illegal immigrant, sir. No illegal human being in the planet. Don't put the camera okay. on Maria because he's yes. talking okay. right. to the camera. She's somebody. General Kelly, there is no such thing as an illegal human being. How many times do we have to say this? Get your grammar correct. When they decided that they were going to start closing ports of entry, when they were going to tear gas families trying to go through the legal channels through ports of entries, she and the president forced individuals to go and make more dangerous areas uh, to cross the border. Because Ari, as you know, in order to seek asylum, you have to officially cross a border. So with those border closures, what we're finding is that the individuals are looking for different ways to enter, including the, you know, the Jacqueline and her father, including this young man, the eight-year-old recently with her, his father. So these are exasperating uh, issues because, unfortunately, the president and the Secretary Nielsen are creating much more pressures for these families instead of allowing to that for them to cross international uh, uh, cross the border and follow asylum laws do you think the president does understand the impact of this partial shutdown i mean we're hearing from no. people it really does affect what what people are saying are just stop it just stop the political game this is all about politics. It's really not about the wall. I spent five years uh, writing about Mexico. I've been all along the border uh, talking about a $5 billion wall and shutting down the government because you want that. It's kind of like investing in landline technology in the era of cell phones. Along that border, people just dig, you know, they can just dig tunnels. There's tunnels all over the border. So it's really not about the wall. And it's silly to blame uh, the Democrats about this. It's really a deflection. You know, a lot of bad news for Donald Trump lately. The economy is erratic. The Mueller probe is coming down. It's not going to be good news for him. And again, he wants the boogeyman. He wants the Democrats. And I think regular people are like, come on, stop it. Do the hard thing. Fix immigration. For one thing, we want a lot of these people to come across the border. We need them in the nursing homes. We need them these jobs. Do the hard thing. Figure out how to get visas for people who could come over and work. Toughen the border where we need it and stop talking about $5 billion on a concrete wall that makes no sense. Yeah, we're back in 2019, just like 2018. It's Trump's fault, everybody's dying. Oh, Obama didn't do anything. Okay, great. The Hill. Clarence Thomas' wife facing scrutiny for spreading far-right stances on social media. Now, let's frame that for a second. Ruth Bader Ginsburg is on Michael Moore's tree topper. I mean, he's on top of the tree. We have people doing crazy shit for her. She has outright dogged the president is way more political than Clarence Thomas. 
But there are whole articles. Ginny Thomas, the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, has generated controversy with the use of social media to spread far-right rhetoric. CNN and WAPO published separate reports in recent days highlighting Thomas' use of social media. She has in recent months shared posts on Facebook alleging Democrats committed voter fraud, claiming survivors of mass shooting at Parkland High School a threat to the country, and that Representative Jim Jordan was the subject of a false accusation because he threatens the elite. Jay Frank Tell at Washington Post and CNN to delete their accounts. Other people. Clarence Thomas' wife, not entitled to own opinion, says media. I could do a whole show on this. I didn't even play the sound bites. I mean, those are sound bites. They, they, once again, have no integrity on this one. The things Ruth Bader Ginsburg has said. And now they literally, the left, wants to pass a constitutional amendment that has it written. Let me get to it. I I had it later on in the quick hits. They literally want a constitutional amendment to, what is it? Let me see. Eh, Sorry, I put it in the wrong spot. Uh, uh, ah, there it is. It is. They want to have a term limit limit now because they realize Trump's probably going to be able to do replace Ginsburg, and it's going to totally fuck up their wet dream of rewriting every fucking thing in the United States to a liberal way using the Supreme Court to do it. So they want term limits, eighteen years. That's all you can stay. That's what they're pushing for now. That's that's the latest from the left. But Clarence Thomas' wife, you just shut your fucking mouth. There's more fallout for the Chuck Todd Special Climate Edition. We're not going to debate climate change, the existence of it. We're not going to give time to climate deniers. The science is settled. Even a political opinion is not. The Hill. Chuck Todd vows not to give airtime to climate change deniers. Brian Schatz. This is an important first step. Thank you, Chuck Todd, and Meet the Press for sticking to the facts. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here are other tweets. We are not going to debate the people who disagree with us. They're not worthy of our time. It's not an effective political strategy. Sounds like it was literally just an hour of virtue signaling. Someone responded to this person. It was. This attitude by Chuck Todd is literally anti-science. In real science, there's no such thing as settled science. Scientific knowledge is always open to expansion, clarification, qualification, revision, and even question. See example, the scientific theory of Newton's theory. Settled science means shut the fuck up, which is exactly what Chuck Todd hosted. Simply that. There can't be any debate because it frightens them. You'll never see a supposedly unbiased news show do this on a conservative issue like abortion. This is silly for several reasons. First, Todd has no scientific expertise or credentials, so it is a genuflection to authority dressed up as an exercise of it. This is just a religion at this point. Ridiculous NBC News. The left loves its artificial frames. 
There is climate concern and climate hysteria, which they approve of. There is climate awareness and concern over hysterical solutions, which they call climate denial. Nope. Chuck Todd wanted a virtue signal to an audience made of almost entirely of people who agree with him. He could have just tweeted someone said it too. <laughs> and finally, somebody says, like, I, like, this is a disservice to NBC shareholders. But my favorite was from Dave Henry. He beat me to it. Should time be given to bias deniers like, say, Chuck Todd? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there should. Then NBC ran this article, which is why I'm retouching it. Climate grief. I'm going to read this. The growing emotional toll of climate change, extreme weather, and dire climate reports are intensifying the mental health effect of global warming, depression, and resignation about the future. When the UN released its latest climate report in October, it warned that wishing, wishing without unprecedented action, catastrophic conditions would arrive by 2040 now. Remember, we're underwater right now, but this is now 2040. For Amy Jordan, 40, a Salt Lake City, a mother of three teenage children, the report caused a crisis. The emotional reaction of my kids was severe, she told NBC News. There was a lot of crying. They told me, we know what's coming and it's going to be really rough. Yeah, yeah, her kids said that to her. Sure she did. She struggled too because there wasn't much she could do for them. I want to have hope, but the reports are showing that this isn't going to stop, so all we can do is cope. The increasing visibility of climate change combined with bleak scientific reports and rising carbon dioxide emission is taking a toll on mental health, especially among young people who are increasingly losing hope for their future. Experts call it climate grief, depression, anxiety, and mourning over climate change. Last year, the American Psychological Association issued a report on climate change effect on mental health. The report primarily dealt with trauma from extreme weather, but also recognized that gradual long-term change in climate can also surface a number of different emotions, including fear, anger, feeling of powerless, or exhaustion. According to Yale survey taken this year, not biased, I'm sure, Anxiety is rising in the U.S. over the climate. 62% of people surveyed said they were at least somewhat worried about climate, up from 49 in 2010. The rate of those who described themselves as very worried was 21%, about double the rate in 2015. Only 6% said humans can and will reduce global warming. For a long time, we were able to hold ourselves in a distance... Sorry, my wife's blowing my phone up. She knows I'm podcasting, but she does this every time. Listening to data and not being affected emotionally, but it's not just science abstract anymore. I'm increasingly seeing people who are in despair and even a panic. No inlays were given for this survey. That survey is fucking bullshit. They've already done surveys to show that fucking people aren't doing anything about it. But the effect of this is just fucking amazing. It is so amazing. Near a tandem, we could have had this man as president. Imagine if we'd acted on climate crisis 18 years ago. Yeah, that's gore. Eric Spencer. 
If we'd acted on it 18 years ago, maybe the seas wouldn't have risen in 2008 and engulfed our coastal cities as predicted. I'm tweeting from underwater, by the way, because drowned. Another person acted. How exactly? What 18 years ago could we have done to impact whatever it is you're convinced is happening? Millions of dollars in sham carbon credits, cash, wouldn't have flowed into his pockets? Yeah. Even had articles this week from the New York Times. New York Times praises radical environmentalists who killed himself to save the earth. A man who lived almost saint-like life of helping others. Earlier this year, radical environmentalist David Buckle demonstrated his love for the planet Earth by lighting himself on fire in Brooklyn Prospect Park in order to set an example in the fight against climate change. In a suicidal note, the 60-year-old gay rights activist, maybe if he was more climate change instead of gay rights, he, he could have got something done. I don't know. I'm sure you spread yourself too thin on all the things you care about. Said his use of fossil fuels to emulate himself was to make a point about what humans are already doing. Most humans on the planet now breathe air made unhealthy by fossil fuels and many die early deaths as a result. My early death by fossil fuels reflects what we are doing to ourselves. Honorable purpose in life invites honorable purpose in death. I'm not reading the rest of this because the rest is just, he is like Martin Luther King. Hmm. As noted by Life News, New York Times' reverential treatment of Bucknell's suicide stands in sharp contrast to what we're supposed to do, so saith the World, World Health Organization. Glorifying suicide victims as martyrs and objects of public adoration may suggest to susceptible persons that their society honors suicide, suicidal behavior. It's a religion, man. I keep saying it. It's just a religion. The left doesn't believe in a higher being. They believe in progressivism. But in line with this, it then brought up another round of, oh my God, Hillary lost. This article goes, psst. Want to know a secret? A lot of Democrats still harbor some really strong feelings about the 2016 election. You might have noticed the last two years of marches and protests and rallies. But who's really to blame for Hillary's loss? A lot are still attributing to Russian meddling, which, by the way, Brian Stelzer got hosed by an AP editor who goes, the investigation's gone on so long, it really doesn't make any sense anymore. Is it what it's about? People just have lost focus. Because they haven't been able to produce anything. And the left attacked him for retweeting that tweet. Because it's true. It's what I say on the show. Nobody believes it anymore. I mean, you've been doing it for so long. But anyway. But who's really to blame for Hillary's loss? A lot are still attributing to Russian meddling. Some still cling to the idea that the Russians acted, actually hacked the voting tolls. Others, like Nate Silver, place the blame squarely on James Comley, who launched his own October surprise with a letter. Congress of the investigation Clinton's email was still open. Still others blame the media for, among other things, covering that email scandal, which they write off as harmless conspiracy like Benghazi. Think progress. 
popped up after Politico ran a piece on how Elizabeth Warren could avoid becoming Clinton Redux and open up a can of really angry worms. Ian Milheiser, the creator. I don't think campaign reporters, and especially people who edit campaign reporters, understand how much rage Democrats still feel for the way they treated Clinton in 2016. Soledad O'Brien, among others, retweeted that one, which quickly racked up hundreds of likes. Yes, people actually believe campaign reporters kneecap Clinton by pursuing phony scandals. Again, we're talking about these campaign reporters. You can practically see the mega caps on their head. It's a picture of all the reporters taken on the airplane with Hillary, and they're all smiling, clamoring to talk to the dear one. L'Esprit de la Sentier. If I am any indication, they do not begin to fathom the death of my fury. They contributed mightily to the destruction of my country and to the depletion of the world my grandchildren will inherit. I'm a patriotic American, a fond nana with a long memory. Another tweeter. And how much rage women feel from the casual misogyny that seems to be selling future as opposed to something we should have overcome by now. Another one, or how they enable this catastrophe to our country, and yet they still prevail, are still drawing paychecks. Gary Roche, they're gonna find out. Threatening journalism. It will not be carried on CNN. Trump doing CNN's fake news will, though. Okay, they're gonna find out. That's a threat. Twitter didn't delete it. Oh, they will find out. I will go to the a Democrat candidate rallies just to make sure I seek out these reporters and let them know more threats. This must be true because if they did understand, they'd all be hiding another threat. They will, when they're driven out of a job and exiled from relevancy for the rest of eternity, another threat. Rage is an understatement when I think about Georgia's gubernatorial race. Now, Stacey Adams was robbed. I'm towering in furrow of incredible honk wrath of indignation. I am angrier yesterday than I will be since the election in 2016. I didn't really know why yesterday, but I do now. They are going to do it to us again. They have learned nothing. I will never forgive the media for their insanely responsible coverage in 2016. And it looks like they're settling in the same rut going to 2020. They gave us Trump. They could easily do it again. See the New York Times. I believe it was 160 plus stories on HRC's emails. I direct direct you to Maggie Haberman and Patrick Healy. Google it. This afternoon, Chris Jansen on MSDNC saw fit to comment on how phony, phonally Warren drank a beer. They're doing it again. I'm not covering her. She's going to run. She's not going to win. And she drank a beer. It's stupid as shit. And lastly, Dave Scott. That main issue wasn't a deep dive into Trump corruption and his grotesque lack of qualification presidency is a damning statement on how news decisions were made and the refusal to cover climate policy as a campaign issue ranks with the worst industry negligence in history. Garius Willie will just do what I was going to say. I don't know what country you're in. But here in the U.S., the media is basically the propaganda arm of the Democratic Party. I mean, are you guys fucking crazy? Are you fucking crazy?
They had to cover it because it was being covered in real news sources. And when they did cover it, they covered it as a no, it's a nothing burger, just like Obama. Get the fuck out of here. For an entire campaign season, the media played 47% about 3,000 times. I read an article today. 3,000 times. Every broadcast. Mitt Romney, 47%. Next podcast, I'll cover his bump on Trump. They're literally talking that he's thinking about running. I don't know if the guy's a moron or what. They love you now because you hate Trump, but if you run for president against Elizabeth Warren, dude, 47%'s coming out of the dustbin and gonna get re-put into programming. Yeah. So I I I I can only sum it up. This is the left. There is a TDS meltdown by an employee who was fired, and another meltdown this week and I want to ask you while you listen to this do you hear conservatives talk like this in public So here we are at Exhale Vapor City in Tucker, Georgia and I have just been asked to leave the store he greeted me that was nice I did find the item that I wanted and the Sir, next thing he said was that he'd like me to leave if you do not stop recording in my store I'm going to call the police and ask you to leave now please call the that would be awesome That'd be awesome. Can right, we, we can call Fox Five and all sorts of stuff. I'd like to, I would like I'm to purchase something here. First. Please do call your boss because I will be calling corporate. Go for it. I am looking forward to releasing this video because I just want to purchase something. For fuck off, dude! Fuck off! Get the fuck off of here, man! Fuck, man! Fucking stay! Fucking get stand, you racist motherfuckers! Racist? Yeah. Stuart, right. I'm not a racist. He's wearing some Trump bullshit, got some racist bullshit off in his head and shit. I already, I don't fucking, I'm not serving anyone that has to do with that fucker. I'm, like, I'm he's so, a treasonous I, asshole. I don't have I'm a problem with you, sir. Whatsoever. I don't. I just want good health care for my kids. I don't have a problem with the color of your skin or yours. I'd like to purchase some of this naked vape juice, though, if that I would be all right. Know. All right, so you guys... Okay, leave, here's where we're at. Here's where we're at. Leave the store. Here's leave where, the store. Here's where leave we're at. Leave the store. Fuck off. I don't give a fuck. Get out. Dude. Dude, go ahead. Take another swing at it. Make contact with me one more time. I'm going to make a deal with you. I want to purchase that vape juice. No. If you sell it to me, no. I won't. If you sell it Get to me, I won't. Look, if you sell it to me, no, I won't I'm call the police. I'm what you did was assaulted me. What I need is that for my wife. If you sell it to me, I won't call the fucking cops and press charges on you for assault. I won't call corporate and get you fired. Just sell me the fucking product so I can leave. What do you want? Naked in a the strawberry in a fucking six milligram. Where do you see naked? Right here. This shit. Where is it? Where this. The fuck do you see right it? there. Here. Right next to that. In a six milligram. Make sure it's a six milligram so I don't have to come back. No, you're not fucking coming back to my store, homie. I'm making sure of that. Fuck out of here, dude. Oh my fuck. God bless America. Capitalism wins again. Fuck your capitalism. Fuck your fucking president. He's a racist, stupid piece of shit. You're right, a racist. Just ring the shit up. Stupid piece of just shit. Just ring the shit up, fuck boy. Fuck off. Do my bidding. Man, fuck, get out. 
Sell it to me. No, shut up. No, sell it to me. Sell it to me, Colt. Cold it's, your, it's your job, your freedom. Sell me the shit. Bucky, you can be. I have no, no, no. Sell it to me. Nope. Sell it to me. Fuck off. Come on, ring it up. Ring it up, and you don't ruin your life. That's where you're at right now, because you done upset me. And you should have helped him first in the first place before you threw a temper tantrum, dipshit. He's standing here waiting for you to ring him up. How fucking get is out? Help your customer. Fuck off. Fuck off. Ah! Uh, I got a business card here. We are going to be here all day. Get out. I'm cool with it. I'm recording. You got a business card for your manager or anything Fuck like no. that? I ain't giving you fucking dick. Oh, man. I ain't giving you dick. You're this is phenomenal. Look, God bless America and everybody in it. I love you, sir. I don't even know you. I love you, too. Hey, and God bless you. This is about money. This is about money. I just want to bring this I thing home to my right. wife. Hey, 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 you know? Right, this got nothing to do with skin color. I'm not selling this you nothing to do with skin color. Okay, I like having a little bit more money in my paycheck. I like paying less for my kids' health care. I just, I got nothing to do with skin color, bro. I'm not selling you dick. I'm sorry, bro. Wow, man. God bless you. Hey, check it out. He's still your president. Go fuck yourself. They, they're, they're unhinged, man. They're unhinged. I, I literally told my wife the other day, the closer we get to 2020, the less we're going out. Because they're unhinged. If 2020 doesn't go the way they are, that they want it, God help us. That's all I have to say. God help us. Quick hits. Abortion killed 42 million people in 2018. Just make sure you understand that. 42 million, because that's counting all the morning after pills worldwide. In line with the officer who was killed, we covered in our year in review, seven people have been arrested for aiding and abetting. All seven of them are illegal aliens with criminal histories. Let that sink in for a while. Other crazy quick hits. Camelia Harris and Maisie Arano trying to bar observant Catholics from public office. In September 2017, Feinstein suggested Judge Amy Coney Barrett is too Catholic to serve in the U.S. 7th Court of Appeals. More than a year later, Senate Maisie Arano and Camelia Harris have renewed Feinstein line of attack, suggesting this month that attorney Brian Busher may also be unfit to serve as a federal judge on account of his Catholic faith. By extreme, she means the Knights oppose abortion and same-sex marriage. In other words, the group is adhering to a teaching of the Roman Catholic Church because he's part of the Knights of Columbus. The media is ignoring it. They're not going to actually bring out that a sitting senator and representatives are prejudicing a person because of their religious faith. I did this close to the mic because I want to make sure that it hits home. Let a sitting conservative say anything about the passel of Muslims that just got in who are way worse with their Sharia laws 
You could not say that. But you can bash Catholics. Okay. Women's March coming on the 19th. I just want you to know, Washington Times, California organizers cancel Women's March for being too white. Yeah. Then there's one in New Orleans that literally had to cancel because they have a drastic drop in support. Media won't publish that. You'll still hear that there's one million people there. Mm-hmm. Now, in Planned Parenthood meltdown over whether to stand by anti-Semitic Women's March leaders, they're supposedly being interviewed and saying that they don't know if they're going to attend. Here's uh, Planned Parenthood. The announcement appears to follow weeks of internal discussion of Planned Parenthood about the organization's future involvement with the Women's March. When Refinery29 first asked when about the controversial and whether it would remain a partner and sponsor the Women's March, during a November 30th interview, a spokeswoman interjected and said she would need to follow up with additional information to avoid speaking out of turn. After that interview, that spokeswoman said she was not able to provide an update on the record. On December 12th, the head of published, publishing the full interview with when Refinery29 contacted the spokeswoman to ask a decision to be made, the spokeswoman called and asked to speak off the record about the organization's plan. Less than an hour later, after learning in a subsequent call that Refinery29 intended to write a separate piece on any updates regarding Planned Parenthood's future involvement in a women's march, the spokeswoman declined to provide an on-the-record comment. Yeah. That's good. I like that. Palestinian Americans sentenced to life in prison by Palestine for selling property to Jews. Ninety-nine vehicles set on fire in migrant-heavy Paris suburb suburb on New Year's Eve. It's a tradition. They've done it two years in a row. Those stories go hand in hand. That's extreme Islam. Sheila Jackson Lee proposes bill to prohibit taxpayer funds from being used on the border wall. It won't pass. Air Force, nothing improper with Airmen's pro-Trump merchandise at Ramstein. Going to read this for you liberals to listen. Here's an education on UCMJ. The U.S. Air Force Europe says troops holding Make America Great hats during the President Trump's visit Thursday were not in violation of military rules that prohibit taking part in partisan activities while in uniform. There is no rule against airmen bringing personal items to be signed by the President. More than 200 airmen greeted Trump on Thursday at Ramstein, where the President and First Lady Melania Trump were greeted, blah, blah, blah. Trump, you know, posed for photos, shook hands, signed autographs with airmen during a scene that resembled photo op visit of former commanders-in-chief in past years. But the public display of some uniformed people with the hats and the flags, made show social media, the left lost it, mostly the media. There are myriad reasons for both a Department of Defense and Army regulation against military personnel participating in or showing allegiance to any political party while in uniform, wrote retired Army Lieutenant General Mark Hurtling on Twitter Thursday. Good commanders enforce good NCOs jerk a knot neck, those fuckers, of those who violate. <laughs> Pam Keith, a former Navy judge, also went on it. We read it. 
USAFE said troops held the hats for signing but did not wear them in uniform. A DOD directive states that personnel must refrain from engaging in partisan political activities when in uniform should avoid the interfer- to infer that their political activities imply or appear to imply DOD sponsorship, approval, or endorsement of political candidates. However, USAFE said it is unaware of any actions during the event that amounted to a violation of regulation. Anytime the commander-in-chief offers the opportunity to meet with airmen, such as this official holiday visit by President and First Lady, airmen are welcome to participate. No policy violations have been brought to our attention. Asking your commander-in-chief to sign a mega hat is not a political campaign action and is not illegal. Yeah. Hmm. The left didn't didn't think that was that was the case. And a good one. Breaking commission investigate Parkland schooling shooting recommends arming teachers in Florida. The fifteen men are Majority Stoneman Douglas High School Public Safety Commission on Wednesday unanimously approved the four hundred and forty six page effort or document and it all says Yeah. Arm them. Arm them. Arm them. So just some sound bites really quick. I'm going to do the bad and the good. The first bad is CNN lying about a report that an African American was kicked out of a hotel because he was black. And my favorite, there is an American citizen being held captive. Let me read it. It's going to be a banner year for CNN. 48-year-old Michigan businessman and ex-Marine Paul Wellen was detained in Russia this week on charges of espionage. CNN's Allison Camerato interviewed David Whelan, who is a brother of Paul. Camerato used the opportunity to grill Whelan about his brother's anti-CNN social media posts. Benny sums it up. How petty and small can you get? CNN combed and detained American and ex-Marine social media and found a post calling CNN fake news. Then CNN anchor Grill's brother of the detained American on air about the anti-CNN post. These people have problems. Honest question. How could this completely harmless social media post about CNN have any bearing whatsoever on American and ex-Marine being detained by a hostile foreign power? How is it remotely appropriate for CNN to ask his worried brother about it on air? CNN is bad. Imagine your brother's been detained by a potentially hostile foreign enemy. You go on CNN for an interview, and the anchor interrogates you about an old Facebook post from your brother. Ryan, I'm not taking this personally, she says, as she grills the brother of an American detained for espionage about whether he thinks her employer is fake news. This is nonsense. Journalism has a habit of aggrandizing wildly unserious people, and the industry needs to get better. Yes, they do. This next story is whipping up a great deal of frustration around the United States. A popular U.S. hotel chain has issued an apology. Two employees fired out of a job after asking a black guest to leave the hotel for no apparent reason. They even called the police on him for nothing. The guest telling CNN it is a symptom of a much larger problem in the United States. Our Miguel Marquez has more. 
Well, this is basically a case of breathing while black. White people calling the police on black people for either a small offense or infraction or no offense at all. In this case, Jermaine Massey checked into a hotel on December 22nd. It was a Doubletree Hotel, part of the Hilton chain of hotels in Portland, Oregon. He had gone to a concert. He was coming back to his room. His mother had texted, so he wanted to make a phone call. Uh, he wanted to do it in the lobby because it seemed fairly urgent. The lobby was busy. He went to a, a secluded area of the lobby and started making his phone call. That's when he was confronted by the security guard. He hung up with his mom, started putting it on video on his phone. He put it all on Instagram, and we want to show you a, a little compendium of what he recorded. He's calling the cops on me because I'm taking a phone call at the Doubletree Hotel. Say hi, Earl. Portland police will be here in a minute. Thank you. Call them. I'm waiting. Okay. They're coming. Why? Why are they coming? Escorting you off the property. Because what? And I'm staying here? Not anymore. How am I loitering in an area that's public? You're sitting here. So this area is off limits after a certain time? Only if you're a guest. I am a guest. You didn't tell me what, that. Uh, I said that I'm a guest. No, I, I told you that. Now, Mr. Massey was on the Don Lemon show. Don asked him, why do you think this sort of thing keeps happening across the country? It's hurtful. Um, it's humiliating, and I don't understand why it continues to be an issue. He had this social media account, the equivalent in Russia of Facebook. It's called VK, and he's had it for 13 years, and he had right. various postings on there, pictures of him in Russia. Um, I think the first one that we have is where he took like sort of a rest and relaxation. Well, here's one. I wasn't planning to go to this one yet, but let's talk about this one. Here's one um, where he says, just drinking coffee and watching fake news. Now, I'm not taking this personally um, that he's pictured with CNN, but I just am wondering, is, is this a statement on his part somehow? Uh, I don't really know. I don't know what's on his V contact page, or I, I don't really follow him on social media other than on Twitter, which is where I am. Uh, so I, I don't know what he was intending by those photos. What did he tell you about his social? I mean, why do you think that he did have a VK account, a social media account in Russia? I knew over the years he'd met uh, Russians. I don't know whether it was through work or through uh, his marine activity. Um, but he'd met people uh, while he'd been traveling around, and uh, he connected with them on social media. Uh, and he would tell us that when he was traveling, he would uh, go and visit those people. So I expect that he probably had a V-Contact page because his Russian friends had a V-Contact page. The picture that I was going to show was him standing in front of the Kremlin. This is in 2006. When and then I'll bring the good as we go out to a music break. And our music break today is going to be Military Christmas, because I miss these. This is from uh, Ranger Up and Matt Best. 11x really funny gun shooting christmas songs which i thought was great um this is the new york times x reporter or editor excuse me and she literally just comes out and says the new york times is no longer journalism they're just outright anti-trump enjoy the former executive editor of the New York Times, Jill Abramson, criticizing that newspaper in her upcoming book, calling the Times news coverage unmistakably anti-Trump. 
Let's bring in Howard Kurtz, Fox News media analyst and host of Media Buzz. Uh, she's not going to be making a lot of friends among her former colleagues at the New York Times with a lot of what she has to say in this book, Howie. Absolutely not, John, but this is an extraordinary rebuke by Jill Abramson, the former executive editor, as you say. Uh, and she not only calls the news coverage unmistakably anti-Trump, she says the younger staff there, the woke staff members, as she puts it, uh, are so concerned about what they see as the dangers of Trump's presidency that they want to throw out the old journalistic standards. She also says that given the paper's mostly liberal audience, uh, there's a financial reward for the Times in running so many stories about Trump, almost all of them negative, and that is soaring traffic. So um, I think that the, while Jill Abramson is no fan of President Trump and still obviously loves the New York Times despite her firing four years ago, uh, she is calling out the paper in no uncertain terms for the coverage of the president. Well, the president has said that he helps the New York Times, as he calls it, this is his quote, the failing New York Times. He helps them sell papers, and there is actually some evidence of that. Yeah, no, the president, despite his uh, war on what he calls the fake news media, actually rings cash registers for a lot of news outlets. In the case of the Times, in just the first six months of his presidency, digital subscriptions uh, soared by 600,000 to a total of more than 2 million. It's undoubtedly higher today. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean you should program or you should practice your journalism in order to uh, make more money when it comes to being fair. Now, some may say this is sour grapes on the part of Jill Abramson because She's criticizing her successor, Dean Baquet, who was her managing editor, who played a role in her firing. Mm -hmm. But there are times in, the, in this book, uh, Merchants of Truth, where she praises Baquet. And I think she's just, you know, taking a step back and saying, hey, if you're constantly running stories that are anti-Trump, you're going to be perceived that way. And in some cases, she says the news pages are just peddling raw opinion. You're gonna shoot your eye out with that thing. You owe me a suppressor. Day of Christmas, my CEO gave to me 
along as safety brief. On the second day of Christmas, my CEO gave to me two ex-wives and along as safety brief. On the third day of Christmas, my CEO gave to me three piss tests. Two ex-wives and along a safety brief. On the fourth day of Christmas, my CEO gave to me four passes pulled. Three piss tests. Two ex-wives and along a safety brief. On the fifth day of Christmas, my CEO gave to me five memories. Four passes pulled. Three piss tests. Two ex-wives. And a long as safety brief. On the sixth day of Christmas, my CEO gave to me six duty staffing. Five Four passes pulled. Three piss tests. Two ex-wives. And a long as safety brief. On the seventh day of Christmas, my CEO gave to me seven super stripping. Six duty staffing. Five memories. Four passes pulled. Three piss tests. Two ex-wives. And a long safety brief on the eighth day of Christmas my CEO gave to me eight dependents pending seven strippers stripping six duty staffing five memories four passes pulled three pistols two ex-wives and a long safety brief on the ninth day of Christmas, my CEO gave to me nine sergeants pitching, eight dependents pending, seven strippers stripping, six duty staffing, five memories, four passes pulled, three pickups, two ex-wives, and a long safety brief. On the tenth day of Christmas, my seal gave to me ten chops behooving, nine sergeants pitching, eight dependents pending, seven strippers stripping, six duty staffing, five memories, four passes pulled, three piss tests. Two ex-wives And a long safety brief On the eleventh day of Christmas My CEO gave to me Eleven bravos grunting Ten tops behooving Oh my god, stop bitching! Eight dependents pending Why do I keep dating strippers? Six duty staffing Five memories are you taking the piss? Two X wives and a long safety. On the twelfth day of Christmas, my CEO gave to me twelve month deployment. It would behoove you to orientate yourself.
You've only been in E5 for like two months! Only once my Tricare. What the f are these bitches always stripping? Who gets stabbed in E6 times? Fly memories. I only scheduled this three months ago. Piss off with your piss test! 2XY. Times and other safety breach. God bless us, everyone. Time excuse for me. vacation. Excuse me, excuse me. Just to piggyback off what the CO said, uh, there's a couple things there I want to caveat on. Um, first, as we just learned, there are 12 distinct days of Christmas. Um, you know each day individually now. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about fire safety. Um, I know you, a lot of you like to uh, roast chestnuts by the fire. Uh, remember, keep that in the fireplace. We don't want any, any fires uh, in, in, the, in the household, especially on base. <laughs> It's a Christmas miracle! to our hate tweets and we get to start out with leah torres md this lady i i just don't understand i, I just don't understand i could be this evil and remember she's the abortion lady she's all about abortion she's abortionist she loves it she's a doctor everyone seems to assert they know what god thinks so have at it god performs way more abortions than i do so there's that Somebody tweets back, God killed more Jews than I do. Hitler, probably. I have no clue what God thinks, but I do know when people are being intentionally stupid, seeking attention, conflating a miscarriage with willful, willfully ending life has to be the dumbest thing I've seen on Twitter this year. So congrats, you own 2018's dumbest tweet, because it was on the 31st. 
That lady's just fucking sick. Then an ex- actual economist used by CNN. He's a blue check. David Rothschild. Republicans hate working Americans. Yes, because you're dialed into the middle class. No one cares what you think. The middle class definitely doesn't. Then he tries to double down on it and tries to explain why he believes that, and none of it sums up to, we hate the middle class. I got a huge argument with some 20-something millennial on Twitter about the ACA because I watched it as a small business executive, and it destroyed us. We lost good people because our premiums tripled. And then to make matters worse, we had to worry about the corporate uh, penalties. So we had to reduce staffing to stay under the level because we couldn't afford it. To properly do the ACA and properly provide, we would have gone bankrupt, which we eventually did for other reasons. But... You know, saying Trump's regulations are killing the middle class is just a lie. What president takes care of the middle class? Do you think Obama took care of the middle class? The stock market, Chevy, Ford. I mean, get the fuck out of here. Every president greases big business because they're the ones that greases campaign, you morons. Then we got the Louis C.K. I can't stand Louis C.K. I think Louis C.K. is a piece of shit. But I guess he said something about the Stoneman Douglas Douglas props for the liberal cause. And literally, he was nuked. Andy Richter, you know what's worse? Most boring kind of comedy? The kind where older white men are angry that older white men can't do or say whatever the fuck they want anymore. Somebody said, dude, you're 52. And you just did it. TMZ. Louis C.K. goes after Parkland victims and leaked audio of new stand-up. David Axelrod, of all people. Louis C.K. joke about heroic Parkland kids was as tasteless as could be, but not a huge surprise. He's made a career of that. But shouldn't audience decide to show up or not? De facto censorship isn't the answer. Let the market decide. Which totally blows me away. But Ellen Barkin decided, let's just violate Twitter's term of service and get away with it. I hope Louis C.K. gets raped and shot. What is wrong with you people? Lauren Chen, and there we have a full-grown woman giving a very normal and healthy response to some jokes she heard. Ellen Barkin. Then we got Chelsea Madding. What if instead of wasting enormous time, energy, and money on getting yet another single person elected president, we work to eliminate the office of the president altogether? That guy. You mean the office that released you from prison, Bradley? (laughs) And then Variety decided to do another survey. And I guarantee this survey was liberally biased. And it still didn't work out for him. The Oscar controversy. A new survey suggests it didn't tarnish Kevin Hart. Data and research provider Spotted found the following. 
spotted consumer approval metric, which measures a mix of likability, relatability, and trustworthiness among U.S. consumers, measured a rebound of nearly 50% for Hart after he apologized. It helped that Hart didn't fall too far in the public esteem in the first place, registering 11.55 drop in the immediate wake of the controversy before he apologized. By way of comparison, the average celebrity involved in 2018 scandal saw a post-scandal pre-apology drop in consumer approval of 13%. Somebody tweeted, that's weird. We were told to hate him. How did that backlash spell not work? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. Sarah Sanders, under President Trump, unemployment rate is matching its low point of the last half century. An all-time high, 130 million Americans now have a job. Wages are rising. Americans are, again, the most productive among the highest-paid workers in the world. You know it brought out the hate. But before that, she linked an article starting with the fact that 3.8% of the unemployment rate is matching its lowest point of the last half century. Almost half of the states in the union now have their lowest unemployment rate ever recorded by the Labor Department. The latest job reports spotlight 7 million more job postings than workers available to fill them. That's the biggest number of the entire population of Indiana. An all-time high, 130 million Americans now have a job. The black and Hispanic un- unemployment rates in October were lower in 2018 than they have been at any time since we walked on the moon. The super tight labor market gives workers more bargaining power with their employers. More and more Americans are demanding wage hikes from their employers, and millions got those deserved raises. Pay gains in real terms this year are now estimated at 3%, one of the biggest increases in two decades, and don't believe the Trump haters who say that only the rich benefited. The Wall Street Journal reported last month that the lowest paid Americans got the biggest gains. Who needs a minimum wage when we have a booming economy? But this part made them lose their fucking minds. The bottom line is this. There's never been in most of our entire lifetime a better time to be looking for a job than today. Unemployment is non-existence in almost all parts of the country. Wages are rising for the first time in two decades. Americans are again the most productive and among the highest paid workers in the world. Anthony Scaramucci, a former Trump advisor, titles his new book, The Blue Collar President. This is exactly what Trump is the working man and woman CEO. And that was from the Wall Street Journal. Caitlin Martin was the one I I argued with. Do not pat yourself on the back. Wages have stagnated. Federal minimum wage is still only $7.25 an hour. Who can live on that? That's $13,185 per year, and that's working 35 hours a week because most corporations don't give people 40 hours a week. When a full-time employee is unable to afford basic needs, housing, food, basic utilities, that is nothing to brag about. This administration has not provided the kind of unemployment that provides a livable wage. And this I highlight because that's the left. The left are so revisionist. Under Obama and the ACA, we stopped giving people 40 hours. Under Obama, in the ACA era, $8 an hour jobs, the average jobs he brought back were fantastic jobs. He's improved. He brought us back from the brink. Everybody was unemployed. Do you remember that? And the media counted $8 an hour jobs. Those are jobs. 
They counted part-time jobs as employment for the dear leader. And now this Caitlin Martin, who, granted, I've been arguing with, literally wants to flip the script that that doesn't count. Our job market was created by eight years of Obama. This is what we have. He gets credit for this in the first year. 2017, he gets credit. 2018, he stops getting credit. If you're an average American who has fucking any integrity, that's how you work it out. The first year goes to the last president because his policies are in effect. Trump has improved the market with the deregulating. But he can't improve this. It'll take a decade to get out of the ACA bullshit. This is the first year you don't have to claim it on your taxes. Businesses are now being able to not worry about hours. How many people they have on their staff. It takes time to unravel that. But our tweet of the day sums up liberalism. And I'm going to read the article that goes with it. Because I, I just read this and literally told my wife this. And once again, Gigi doesn't curse a lot. But she says, that's the most stupid fucking thing I've ever heard. Why don't they let the hunters just hunt them? Which makes a lot of sense. Andy McCarthy. Sentence I never have predicted. The wildlife ecologist running Mayor de Blasio's deer vasectomy project Ranked, raked in more than $603,000 in the first two years of the budget-busting program. He's getting paid $300,000 a year. The wildlife ecologist running man, blah, 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 blah. Dr. Anthony D. Nicalo, a founder of the nonprofit White Buffalo Inc., was paid up to $2,500 a day for 250 days of project management and field sterilization work during the 1617 and 1718 seasons, according to city budget documents reviewed by the Post. DeColo's wife, Vicky, was a staff member during the project's first season, shooting bucks with a tranquilizer gun and wrangling the dazed animals. That role paid $1,600 a day for 150 days of work. A total of $240,000 for a job that typically pays just $29,000 a year. Together, D. Nicola's bloated salaries gobbled up 29% of the project's first year expenses. Or, and we're just spitballing here, the city could have found a way to make money on its deer control program, but instead to choose this humane option. A tweeter who's just like my wife gets the tweet of the day. Yay. As we go into news and social media nuggets. And to think of how many bow hunters would have lined up and paid the state to hunt those bucks instead. Many of which donate the meat to food shelters. That's liberalism, my friends. Increase Deer tags? Oh no. We're going to sterilize them. You fucking morons. This, this, is, this is something, man. This is, this is our generation, man. All you people, we're all together, man. It's groovy. And dig yourselves because it's really groovy. 
Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. It's a whole new ball game on campus these days, and they call it PC. PC? Politically correct. And it's not just politics, it's everything. It's what you eat, it's what you wear, and it's what you say. If you don't watch yourself, you can get in a buttload of trouble. For instance, see these girls? Yeah. No, you don't. Those are women. You call them girls, and they'll pop your figs. Save the whales. Gays in the military now. and be all you can be for it's an adventure for the few the proud the brave in military corner our military corner there was some uh, top 10 stories that i didn't cover last time because it wasn't out yet um, these were the top 10 from military.com. Troops to get larger, largest pay raise in years. TRICARE changes start. Troops, military families got a cost of living increase for 2019, the largest in years, and waited through a variety of changes to TRICARE in addition to increased out-of-pocket drug cost. TRICARE users brave a system overhaul that included region swaps, program name changes, a new fee structure, and the system's first ever open season. Meanwhile, troops who met the cutoff date or excuse me met the date cutoff faced a deadline to choose whether to opt into the defense department's new blended retirement system and it changed the rules surrounding post 9/11 GI bill transfers meant that many senior military members must choose to make the transfer or potentially forgo the option then there was the Army Air Force issue major uniform changes the US Army and Air Force announced two major changes in 2018. In May, the Air Force announced it would adopt the Army's optional camouflage program pattern, which is retarded looking, and replace the pattern on the Airman Battle Uniform, known as the ABU, for year, four years have passed since the Army adopted OCP pattern similar to Multicam that was developed around 2002. Other major uniform changes 2018 came out. They're going to start wearing the pinks. The new Army Greens uniform become mandatory to wear in 2028. The Sky Penis Scandal. Just a second, let me yell at a dog. Sorry, I yelled at the dog. I got the puppy still. Sky Penis Scandal, we already covered that. That was huge. VA Mission Act Forever GI Bill continues to face hurdles. A sixth military branch, the Space Force. Army announced new, new fitness test standard by October 2020. It'll work um, as of now in October 
A 60 battalion field test started. National Guard and Reserves also did some. News of the ACFT, which is intended to be a fitness evaluation designed to prepare soldiers for rigors of combat, ignited excitement, but also served as a wake-up call. For some soldiers who now have 18 months to pass or get booted, the Army finds M4 glitch moves towards more powerful rounds. Took six months, but Army weapons officials found the cause of the mysterious and dangerous glitch and the selector switch of the M4, M4A1 carbines that caused the weapon to fire unintentionally. In March, the Army Tank Automotive and Armament Command sent out safety of use message advising units to perform an updated function check on all variants of the M16 and M4s after a soldier experienced unexplained unintended discharge when his M4A1 selector switch became stuck between semi and automatic setting. Weapons officials scrambled to investigate the problem and after roughly 3,000 Army M4s and M4A1s failed the new safety inspection. The glitch turned out to be tolerance issue with the internal firing components. All this, also this year, the new M249 came out with 688 or 6.8 rounds. We talked about that. Hurricanes, wallop, bases, and force relocations covered that. Close combat, lethality, and subterranean warfare covered that. North Korean confrontation looms. We covered that. And bonus, Manus resigns, and we covered that. Here are five movies from 2018 that I didn't watch, so I thought I'd put it out. The Netflix documentary series debuted on Veterans Day and chronicles the extraordinary lives and deeds of eight service members awarded the nation's highest medal as task and purpose note earlier this year. The series features interviews of family members and brothers and arms and some of the recipients themselves. It's called Medal of Honor. I'm going to give it a look. They Shall Not Grow Old. The newly released documentary by Academy Award-winning director Peter Jackson offers a stunning look at World War I. The project was four years in the making and was pieced together for more than 600 hours of black-and-white silent footage, which was then painstakingly colorized and restored. It was set alongside audio cold for more than 100 hours of interviews with actual WW1 participants. Hmm. So if you missed it earlier this year, you have another chance to check it out in 2019. <clears throat> you know, it was in a theater, so I'm sure it's out on DVD. Bodyguard, a political thriller set in the United Kingdom. The BBC hit series arrived on Netflix. I tried watching it. It sucked. Barry, the HBO comedy series Bill Hader as Barry Beck- Berkman, a Marine veteran turned hitman who grown tired of life of contract killing. I have not tried that one. I really don't like that guy, so I just don't. And Combat Obscura. Combat Obscura shows the war in Afghanistan the way it felt for many who served there. It's dark, chaotic, raises many questions, provides a few answers, and assaults a viewer with moments of hilarity and sheer terror. One moment, the Marines on screen crack jokes and take bong rips from a Pringles can, and the next they rush a grievously wounded friend to Kazavak. The controversially and jarring war documentary was made by Miles Laguse, former Marine combat cameraman. He used footage from his 2011 deployment to Afghanistan to craft a non-narrative film that offers an unfiltered perspective of the war, as Tactics and Purpose reported in April. Currently, Combat Obscure is only being shown at select film festivals. However, updates on whether it'll premiere next will be announced on a documentary website, and I'm sure it'll turn out on DVD. 
A few lucky soldiers are already rocking the Army's new designated marksman rifle. Yeah. On December 27, update from the Army Futures Command revealed that the Army has fielded the 7.62 by 51 millimeter G28E-110 squad designated marksman rifle adopted as the M110A1 compact semi-automatic sniper system. Back in 2017, it's planned to select unit stations at Fort Bliss, Texas, based on a Heckler & Koch HK417 platform, which just looks like an M4. The 2019 Na- uh, National Defense Authorization Act fully funded the Army's proposed $46.2 million acquisition of 5,180 CSASS rifles, with the eventual goal of buying as many as 8,700 of them. Rather than traveling in two-man sniper teams, designated marksman provides precision fire support as part of the infantry unit. As the war zone notes, the first 120 CSAS rifles have already ended up in the hands of the 82nd Airborne. Now, for non-military people, that's old school. Back when I patrolled the DMZ in 1990, you had a designated marksman, your best person to take shots if you had to, like, assassinate or shoot somebody or just take out one person. They didn't have a special weapon. They just had an M16. So that's pretty cool. And finally, these new UCMJ laws start January 1st. A series of sweeping reforms and updates to the UCMJ, Uniform Code of Military Justice, <clears throat> kicking in on January 1st, including the addition of some crimes and expansion of victims' rights on standardizing the legal blood alcohol limit for drivers on some military bases. Many of the changes, which stemmed in part from the Joint Chiefs of Staff recommendations made in 2013, were ordered in the 2017 National Defense Authorization Act, put in policy earlier this year through an executive order from President Donald Trump. They bring what Senator John McCain, Chairman of the Senate Armed Service Committee, during the 27th NDAA process called the most significant reforms to the UCMJ since it was enacted six decades ago. Expansion of Crimes the law adds new acts to the list of crimes under the UCMJ and moves some crimes that had previously been considered under 134, known as General Article, which means you can get you on anything. For example, a new criminal offense bars sexual relations between troops and recruiting or training roles and their, and their recruits or trainees, regardless of consent, which was already in place for drill sergeants. An article barring adultery has been changed to extramarital sexual conduct, while court-ordered legal separation has been added as an allowed defense against the charge. Theft carried out by credit or debit card is moving from falling falling under larceny to its own article. Stocking and cyber-stalking were added. Also newly considered a crime in any retaliation against those who witness or report a crime or gross waste, mismanagement, or abuse of authority. They then have a standard DUI, standardized DUI rule. The new rule lowers the highest acceptable blood alcohol level for those driving on a military base to 0.08 from 0.10, which makes sense because that's what most you know, municipalities use. New investigative authorities. Under the changes, military judges have the newly added ability to issue warrants, orders, service providers like Facebook to give up their electronic communications. New victim protections. Any victim, regardless of crime, can have an advocate or government counsel present during interviews, 
for the new rule. The rights of victims also are being expanded to include a legal guardian or judge-appointed representative. Changes to judges and panels. A new rule removes the option for accused to pick either a panel, the military version of a jury, or a judge-only trial during a special court-martial for certain crimes where the punishment is six months or less. Instead, the government will be allowed to choose which version is used, not the defendant. Convicted troops are also will now receive what's known as segmented sentencing, similar to sentencing rules used in civilian federal court. Under this change, the accused can request a panel to decide sentencing or allow the judge to do it. Another new law expands both required panel size. Yeah, so there it is. That's a lot of shit. And once again, it is a 2.6 raise which I'm really hoping to see some of it. I can't find what I got. I think it's a 1.7. I know it's coming, but as retirees, that's an extra 50 bucks, and we'll take it. Now I'm going to go to college crazy. We rarely do audio, but I had to play this. 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 I'll just read the headline. Watch. Feminist promotes and brags about abortion to children. Yeah, that's what I said. Children. Do you think that sometimes it's not okay to have an abortion? I want to say if, like, if you're being reckless, if there's nothing wrong going on. I don't know. I just don't agree. Hmm? So what are we here to talk about about today? today? (laughs) Well, I had an abortion. Oh, so what do you know or what have you heard about abortion? I don't exactly know what happens, but like you go and basically get rid of the baby from inside you. How, what have you heard? That. Same thing. Have you ever talked to somebody about abortion before? I actually wrote a paper in fifth grade about it. Wow, what was yeah. your paper about? Abortion is okay. Uh huh. And it also depends on like what's happening and why they got, they got the abortion. So you think it's okay, depending on the circumstances? Yes. Hmm. Why did you have an abortion? A few years ago, I got pregnant, and I really didn't want to have a baby. May I ask, what happened? Did he not wear a condom? Did the condom break? Was it pre-ejaculation? Such good questions, Vanessa. Thank you. He wasn't wearing a condom. Why wasn't he wearing a condom? Have you ever had two options and one of them, like, seems easier at the time? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, you could take a shortcut or you could go the long way It was the shortcut version. Mm. What did your partner think at the time? You know, I think we were both, like, bummed out that I got pregnant. And he was just, like, supportive of what I wanted to do. Were you reckless at the time? Um, I mean, I don't... I wouldn't really say that I was being reckless. Mistakes happen. Yeah. And, and sometimes you just don't do that in the moment. You know what I mean? I don't know. I'm glad. <laughs> when you have an abortion, what exactly do you do to like have the abortion? You go to the doctor and they put this little straw inside of your cervix and then inside of your uterus and then they just suck the pregnancy out. And it was like a crappy dentist appointment or something. It was just like, ah, this is like a body thing that's kind of uncomfortable, but 
then it was over and I felt really just grateful that I wasn't pregnant anymore. I've gotten into many an internet argument about it. Facebook, Instagram, yeah. just all the social media. That's the media place where is that really, goes down. It's so taboo to a lot of folks and I don't mm -hmm. know why. Do you think that sometimes it's not okay to have an abortion? I want to say if like if you're being reckless, if there's nothing wrong going on. I don't know. I just don't agree. Do we want people to just have all those babies? No. So what do we do with them? Put them up for adoption. I feel like if I am forced to create life, mm -hmm. I have lost the right to my own life. I should be the one to decide if my body creates a life. Even if you're giving a kid up for adoption, you still like have a kid out there somewhere, you know? Yeah. Are you religious at all? I believe in God. Mm-hmm. What do you think that God thinks about abortion? If I were to say, I think like he's fine with it because there are still babies being born. Mm -hmm. What do you think God thinks about abortion? I think it's all part of God's plan. That's, that's smarter than what I said. <laughs> <laughs> I really was just thinking about Drake when I said that. <laughs> are you guys religious? Yeah, I'm Catholic. Have you ever heard of what like the Catholic Church thinks about abortion? I don't think the church liked it. Yeah. Because like they like see it as like killing the baby. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think? I think that it's up to you. Same. Cause I feel supported by that. <laughs> I believe that like life begins when a person has a baby. Oh. Clearly, like, some people believe that life begins at conception. Which yeah. it doesn't. But, <laughs> do you know what conception? Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, you when know about sperm enters an egg. Into the egg. It um, becomes a fetus, and then the fetus is in a lady's tummy. And, yes, sir. Or in the womb. It's not really a human being yet. I kind of how like, I feel. Yeah, I kind of like to compare it to, like, a sea cucumber. It's not thinking. It's just <laughs> living. It's like your arm is not capable of complex thought. Neither is a baby inside your your womb. I like your take. At any point were you like considering not doing it? No, actually for me it was like an instant feeling. Like I was like, I'm pregnant, okay, I'm having an abortion. Was your family mad or okay? Or? They were okay, yeah. They were like really supportive. Which I think was another reason I wasn't scared is because I knew that I had so much support. Have you told a lot of people or just your close family? I told my Lyft driver on my way here. <laughs> I've told so many people about my abortion, so I decided to tell everyone on Facebook that I had had an abortion and that I was choosing to tell people that because I felt like the pro-choice movement was really silent. The status update went viral, yeah. which like wasn't just people being like, hey, I had an abortion too, yay, let's talk about it. There were like a lot of super angry people who were like harassing and abusing and threatening me. I like to post controversial things. I think everyone should, within reason, have self-autonomy, mm -hmm. you know. I, I'll post on Facebook sometimes, like, just a, your friendly reminder that abortion isn't murder. <laughs> have you ever been like attacked online by pro-life people? Yes. But I don't call them pro-life, I call them anti-choice. Because who would disagree with that statement, right? Like being pro-life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, like you want people to live their lives. Yeah. To me, the phrase pro-life is propaganda because often the people that say that don't want to take care of 
people who yeah. have babies that they can't afford and then are totally poor. They want to deprive people of access to healthcare, and I'm just like, that's not. You guys aren't pro-life. I'm pro-life. Do you think it's possible to be anti-choice for yourself, but pro-choice for others? Yeah, everyone has a different background with like faith and just how they think about the world, how they think about when life begins. Is it an arm? Is it a sea cucumber? Is it a baby? Yeah.、Um, yeah. We know that you think it's an arm. At the end of the day, it's my body, and the idea that a group of like. Old white dudes. white dudes in the government would、Say、tell、no. me, yeah. I can't tell you how many times some old white dude has told me how I should be, how I should look. Oh、that. yeah, I'm sure they're baffled by you. Do you have any tattoos? Yeah, I have a lot. Do you have any tattoos? I do. I have one. Do you want to see it? Oh my god. <laughs> nice. It's so red. <laughs> <laughs> Is it weird, like being defined by this one thing that you did? It feels like I'm like living my exact right life, God's plan. Yeah, <laughs> Drake. Drake. <laughs> Thank you so Thank much. Thank you for talking to me, Sarah. Of course. Thank、Let's、you so、do. much. It was great to meet you. You too. Thanks, guys. All right, bye, Amelia. Okay, bye. Hi, I'm Amelia Bono. To learn more about me and my work with Shout Your Abortion, we just published a new book. Check the link down below. And be sure to watch more kids meet videos. Bye. What the fuck? You go to the doctor and they and they just suck the pregnancy out. A drawing eight minute video from Cuts Kaiho brand released on Friday features feminist and shout your abortion movement founder Amelia Bono, B O N O W. Promoting abortion to children. This segment is particularly filled with anti-science and pro-abortion talking points, and include Bono bragging about her own abortion to the young boys and girls. Notably, Bono tells the children that an abortion procedure sucks out the pregnancy, comparing its seriousness to that of a dentist appointment. She also frames the murder of an unborn in religious terms, calling it part of God's plan. The video, which has racked up nearly 780,000 views as of Monday morning, has been thoroughly ripped apart by viewers as propaganda and blatant indoctrination of the youth with scientific fallacies. You go to the doctor, and they put this little straw inside your cervix, and then inside of your uterus, and then they just suck the pregnancy out. And it was like a crappy dentist appointment or something. It was just like this is a body thing that's kind of uncomfortable, but then it's over. And I felt really just grateful that I wasn't pregnant anymore. After being asked about the circumstances of her pregnancy, Bono says her partner didn't wear a condom and they took a shortcut. Bono says she immediately wanted abortion the moment she found out she was pregnant. Both she and her partner were bummed that she got pregnant. A young boy who did a school project on why abortion is okay tells off Bono that there are circumstances where abortion would not be okay. Bono does her best to swim against the view. Her tweets: I let a bunch of kids grill me about my abortion. It was great. Shot your abortion. Be releasing a children's book about abortion in 2020. Somebody said a children's book about mothers who murder their children. Get help. Another tweeter. There are no words to describe how depraved you are as a human being. Another woman. Get help. Another woman. On the next week's episode, I let kids grill me about the time I left my puppy in a hard car. It was great. Will the book be dedicated to the survivors? 
We have a word for people that are proud to commit cold-blooded murder. Psychopath. Please stay away from children. You've done enough damage to them as is. Just wondering if you want, went into length about some of the procedures used in abortion. Where are the parents? Shame on them for letting this go on. That, that was what me and the wife said. Because the next tweeter does it. This is child abuse. You can't respect the living inside or outside the womb. Chapter 1, if you're reading this, congrats on not having me as your mom. Chapter 2, if your mom gave you this book, you have an older brother or sister you never met. You somehow have almost 3,000 followers, yet fewer than 80 liked your tweet. That should tell you something. That your abortion is shouting is revolting. How do you get to this point in your life where you thought talking about tearing a living child apart to other living children is sane? I'm literally sick. And roll tide Bella, and once again, these are all women. This is evil. Full stop. Remember, indoctrination. That's what news and social media nuggets and college crazy is all about. Indoctrination. They believe if they make abortion and non-gender shit in kids' heads, they get their way and they get liberal voters. And it's working. I mean, look what they did with gay. Under Clinton, gay was cool. Then we got gay marriage. Under Obama, transgender. And they started pushing that. So now transgender is cool and kids want to be trans, even though they don't know what the fucking means. In our college, crazy, I had to do this one up front. Leave it to Vanity Fair to write a ridiculous, vile, ignorant smear piece about conservative college women. Read a lot of stupid articles. We cover CNN for Pete's sake. But man, this dumpster fire of our article is not only really stupid, but infuriating. They deliberately painted these young women with a broad, unflattering brush to push a stereotype and caricature of who conservative women are. Vanity Fair. Young Republican women are grieved, outnumbered, defiant, and they aren't going to apologize for loving the guy in the White House. That's their tweet. In the article, it's really hard to date here, said Gabby Desiree, 19, a sporty, dark-haired girl who was sitting on a wrought iron patio table eating a hamburger. Oh, you got to get the hamburger in because she's not vegan, so she's bad. Liberal guys match with me a lot on Tinder because they like to argue. I put it right in my profile that I'm a conservative woman, but when they kind of want me to be like a guy in a relationship and she made a face, I like a man to be a man, like a lumberjack. Liberal guys are really feminine. <laughs> Along the darkened path leading out of the cookout as I was leaving, another young woman stopped to say hello. I told her that I was there, too, to find out why some young women still pledge their loyalty to Trump, even with the accusation of sexual assault against him. And she told me she has been raped her freshman year. He took advantage of a naive freshman. He expected sex, and I didn't know what that would be expected. So Republican, know, Republican women know about me, too, she said. But please don't say my name. I have to be so careful with applying to law school. Yeah. What does that say? Tiffany Cross. Dear media outlets, please stop profiling delusional beneficiaries of white supremacy and normalizing their hate. Most persons of colors don't need to read about them to understand them. We've been on the receiving end of their viewpoints for generations. Girls, by defiant, this. Middle finger. 
Tiffany reacted exactly as Vanity Fair wanted her to do, as did most people on this thread. All this editor can do at this point is shake her head. Well and right, Snark. Candace Van XL. How about you profile the white women who feel the need to call police on black people for existing? I'm sure it's one of the same, but at least it's a spin. I can guarantee they love the guy in the White House. Daniel Zakuza. I read the article to learn why any young woman would be conservative. I didn't learn anything new. Their family is conservative. They're pro-life or both. That's it. It's a story of young women still living in an infantile fantasy of princesses, patriarchy, and privileges. Somebody tweeted to him, You've never met a conservative woman. Shut up. Amy Geese. When has a young white woman been hurt by any policy in their entire lives? Give me a break. Stop publishing this garbage. I speak for animals. Women who support Trump love a man who has no respect for them. That makes me sad for them and devastated for the rest of us who have to live with their choices. They've been based on low self-esteem. None of these people know concern to win. That girl sums it up in one statement. They want men that act like men. Liberals want men to act like women. That's why their non-gender thing is so big for them. They want men in skinny jeans or PJs in a cup of coffee pushing the ACA like Pajama Boy. They don't want men. And when they find out that those men open doors for them, treat them like a lady, buy their dinner, don't judge them if they gain a few pounds. Oh, that's just horrible. Because that goes against the fucking stereotype. We're all just cavemen and grab people by their pussy. As stated, been married 32 years. 32 years in April. I never grabbed my wife by her pussy. She grabbed me by my junk before. I was joking, but, you know, I never done it. Never hit her. Never treated her like shit. I mean, Jesus Christ, you people suck. Georgetown takes action. It's a new acronym. Against microaggressions in medicine. Because they're there, you know. They're in medicine. The School of Medicine in Georgetown, along with the Office of Diversity and Inclusion, will be sponsoring a poster campaign with an aim at educating students on what to do about microaggressions. This campaign will work towards developing a response strategy before a microaggression appears and building efficiency in faculty, staff, students, and trainees who must respond in real time to microaggressions. Microaggressions have macro fat, particularly when considering the cumulative burden for individuals and organizations over time. Microaggressions show up everywhere in society, including in our classrooms, clinics, hallways, and social media in our neighborhoods, watch, app, and at the grocery store. Because those fucking cucumbers, yeah. Those motherfuckers look like penises. That's a microaggression. I don't like penises. OWU offers social justice major with mandatory activism work. Through this interdisciplinary major, students will develop the knowledge and skills to reflect critically on the meaning of social justice at both the local and global levels, examine the dynamics of societal conflicts and struggles for social justice within and among various groups and institutions, and apply interdisciplinary perspectives at multiple levels of analysis, states the description of the major. In addition to coursework, the major requires that each student does work outside the class, which includes an activism projects. 
Students were required to supplement the classwork with a more exper- exper- experientially oriented activist project and will be encouraged to further participate in a training level course, the theory to practice grant and other service projects. And a light bulb went off in my head. Damn it, that's smart. You just astroturf this shit. People have to go to protest to get a fucking grade. Yeah. Genius. They're just geniuses. They put that in the syllabus and say it's really important. So they can get more people at protest. Hmm. Elite universities won't respond to allegations. Some students got in with fraudulent transcripts. A Louisiana private school that boasts about about its ability to send minority students to Ivy League universities like Harvard, Princeton, Stanford, and Yale is now accused of falsifying transcripts to get them in. T.M. Landry College Prep in Bro Bridge, Louisiana, Bro, I don't know how to say it, it's fucking French, has been the talk of the talk show town with CBS This Morning, Today, Ellen. They all get to elite universities. At the time, the school brought up the challenges some students faced and odds they beat to succeed. But it all is not well. In late November, the New York Times published a report covered by the Daily Wire alleging some students who were accepted by elite universities had their transcripts altered and received inaccurate but glowing recommendations in order to boost the school's image. The flagship story the Times focused on was that Bryson Sasu, who received a recommendation from Landry founder, Tracy Landry, who wrote he was a bright, energetic, and compassionate and genuinely well-rounded student and a son of abusive alcoholic father. The recommendation also claimed Sasu founded a community service program for children of alcoholic parents, took four years of honors English, played basketball, and was a mathematic Olympiad. Sasu was accepted to St. John's. Only this year did he learn <clears throat> what has been written about him and told the Times it wasn't true. His father never beat him and paid child support. He never started a program for children or alcoholic parents, nor did he take classes he was alleged to have taken. Further, a recommendation from his English teacher referred to another student, meaning they wrote the letter in bulk and just changed the names. Sasser said the students took act practice tests over and over again and that once he got to college, a kind of conditioning hurt him. If it wasn't on the act... I didn't know it. As a follow-up to the story, Ryan Everson with the College Fix contacted Ivy League universities and they accepted Landry students and asked them whether they needed to reevaluate their admissions process. They never responded. It's kind of like STEM and people of color. We're just going to make it up. We're going to give them money. We're going to throw money at it. It's going to work. This doesn't surprise me. It just doesn't surprise me. The left has made this kind of stuff touchy-feely that they know of, I don't let this kid in who was ass-raped by a whale, then I'm a bad person. I'm going to be a bad person. So i got to do something about this. And so they do this. And it's all bullshit. It's just fucking bullshit. They just make it up as they go along. Moving on to transgender stuff. We covered this last year. Transgender wrestler wins second straight Texas girl high school title. There's a picture of this girl boy ripping the head off of a real girl. 
In this Friday, February 16, 2018 photo, Ulysses Trinity's Mac Bex begs top wrestles Louisville's Elise Nelson in the second round of the 110-pound girls division 6A regional. For the second year in a row, a transgender wrestler has won the Texas girls class 6A 110-pound division. Mac Beggs, an 18-year-old senior from Elise Trinity High School near Dallas, entered the tournament in Cyprus outside of Houston with an undefeated record. He beats Chelsea Sanchez, whom he beat for the title in 2017 in the finals match Saturday. Videos posted online show a mix of cheers and boos from the crowd when he wins. Beggs is the process of transitioning from female to male and taking a low dose of testosterone. It was a steroid therapy treatment while wrestling girls has stirred a fierce debate about competitive fairness and transgender rights last season. And it still is. It's not fair. She, which looks like a he, is buff as fuck and the t- testosterone should be doping. Anybody else taste testosterone? It's doping. We're making amends for transgenders in sports. Hmm. Then we have this crazy one. Daniel Craig is stepping away from the James Bond franchise, leaving plenty of wondering who should be neck ne- the next 007. The jury has returned and ruled that Idris Elba, Luther the Wire, should be a fantastic Bond. Speaking of The Wire, star Dominic West flowed the idea of a transgender James Bond. The Daily Beast. With Daniel Craig on his way out, actors believe it's time for a transgender James Bond. Do they really? I I doubt that. Transparent star uh, Ian Harvey uh, has long daydreamed of playing 007, so getting the chance to don the tuxedo or to watch one of his peers do it would be personally meaningful. As someone who has been told over and over again through our social media messaging and sometimes directly to my face that I am someone who is not allowed to own my masculinity, that I'm not a real man, that only cis white men are allowed to own masculinity, it would feel like a major triumph if I or one of my trans actor friends here to be cast as such a hyper-masculine role. Derek Hunter. If there was a demand for a trans spy... Someone would create one. This isn't about inclusion. This is about destroying everything liberals hate. A man's man who kicks ass and sleeps with beautiful women without apologies. Alpha males must be destroyed. Libs only tolerate pussies. And that sums it up. If there, you could make it. It's Hollywood. Go make a trans spy. Do it. You know why they don't do it? Because there's only about 0.07% of America that's got this fucking mental illness. And on top of it, only about 10% of the country gives a fuck about it. That's why they don't make it. The media plays along with it, but they won't make it. Nobody's going to watch it. They did a whole series on the right to get married with all the gay people, and nobody watched it. Because there's only 5.7% of this country that's gay or trans, so... God damn you people. But it doesn't matter to New York. From now on, a New York City newborn gender can be X. On Wednesday, for the first time in history, New York City offered a third option for parents of a newborn babies or anyone choosing not to identify as male or female. 
setting their birth certificate to X. De Blasio stated that the law allowed citizens of freedom to tell the government who they are and not the other way around. Imagine if you were told you were something that you did not consider yourself to be. He addressed a transgender New Yorker. You be you. Live your truth. Corey Johnson, the Speaker of the New York City Council, who introduced the legislation, added, You don't need a doctor to tell you who you are. You shouldn't need a doctor to change your birth certificate to reflect your true self. This groundbreaking legislation will make New York birth certificates more inclusive. Oh, really? More inclusive. Is this the inclusion you want? Study recommends unusual way, way to deal with past trauma. BSDM. You fucking people are perverts. I'm just saying you're fucking perverts. You're just fucking perverts. That was an article. And what the fuck did I get that from? It's got a dude in a that black mask suit from. Oh, Jesus. It's a picture from. Um, horror Story. American Horror Story. Just fucking horrible. There's a piece of the New York Times Monday called The Father Confronts the Spider-Verse Problem. But we'll be damned if we can figure out just what the problem is. Although the tweet suggests a deep structural flaw in the Spider-Man's Into the Spider-Verse. Robbie Silov. It's a baffling piece. The author reluctantly lets his son watch Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, overlooking the problematic stuff, which is what exactly? He never explains. Unsurprisingly, the author's diversity czar at university. Don Doher. We cannot expect kids to be as woke as we are. Laments a grieved progressive father. I like Spider-Man. This is the article in the Spider-Verse. It's quite good, but I didn't love it. And I feel bad about that. Growing up, I did not see myself in popular culture. Let me list a bunch of characters. There, there. These were my cultural heroes, the characters I wanted desperately to be. The truth is... I would never inhabit their lives. I knew it then, and as a scholar of race, I know it now. My heroes were in bodies that were different from mine. They weren't white. I was black. Uh, and that ontological chasm was too much to cross. Maybe I could be their friend, or I could support them in their adventure. I w- you know, let's stop for a second. Should I put violence behind this? Oh, okay, I won't. I could be the sidekick, the comic relief, the beta character, but I would never be the hero. That's why that's why I was excited for this film. Spider-Man the Spider-Verse is a movie in love with comic books. It does not apologize for the source material, nor feel the need to try to ground the story into real life as Marvel movies have often tried to do. Like comic book is full of colorful villains and brimming with one-liners, this film manages the delicate feat of embracing its source material while also satirizing it. Miles Morales, the first Afro-Latino Spider-Man. Do these people know it's a cartoon? I mean, I'm wondering if they forgot it's a cartoon. The man who voices it is Spider-Man. Okay. Was the focus from the first half of the film, but thereafter he became a Spider-Man among Spider-Men. He was no longer the focus, and that put me in a tough place as a father of young children. Transformer, Revenge of the Fallen, which is radically indelicate, portrayal of black people in the form of skids and mudflap characters was an easy fix. I took away the film. They have not watched Pocahontas yet because the movie's whitewashing of American history is too much for me, and thankfully the movie has not been requested. We've discussed why films like Revenge of the Fallen and Pocahontas are a problem, and when we talk about the kind of racial stereotypes those films represent, 
the ghettoized machine of the former and the noble in- Indians versus the violent savage dictomy of later, dichotomy, excuse me, they usually shrug their shoulders and move on to the next toy. But I could not imagine having a similar conversation with them about Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse. I loved it too much. Quinn, who's eight, thinks he is Miles Morales. He zips around the living room to pretend spider webs and fighting imaginary bad guys, much to his mother's chagrin. LJ, 10, loves, for some reason, I can't fathom, the character of the Prowler and has taken to drawing him in markers on random scraps of paper around the house. He did something similar with Killmonger and Black Panther and Thanos and Avenger. Spider-Verse, more than any other movie we've seen together, puts me in a precarious position. My sons love this movie. They have taken to listening to the music from it. They told all their friends to watch it. They deem it the best Marvel movie to date, and it is. They have not stopped talking about the film, and this is all because they saw themselves in the character that looked like them. Miles spoke to them in a unique way, and while I want to see the world clearly and learn to critique the pop culture they consume, I'm going to let them enjoy this imperfect superhero movie. For LJ and Quinn to identify so deeply with the black character on screen is important. I have decided to lay aside analysis and allow them to love this movie in spite of its flaws. And then he goes and rips the movie because it wasn't enough black experience. It's never enough. It's never enough. Unless Hollywood comes out with a roots reverse with black people as the master and white people as slaves, yet the story doesn't make you really care about it. You enjoy watching the white people getting beaten. They'll never be happy. And even then, they'd find fault in it. They would say it was great seeing the roles reversed, but how dare they mess with the classic? That would be the actual thing. Because <laughs> the libs, there's you're just never woke enough by our next story. SB Nation Outsports Fillet's Peach Bowl sponsored Chick-fil-A for supporting FCA and biblical values. An LGBTQ EIEIO media voice renewed the attack on Chick-fil-A this past weekend in a backdrop of Saturday's Peach Bowl. The sports book nation sports blog LGBTQ Extension Outsports accused Peach Bowl sponsor Chick-fil-A and its foundation of bringing mental harm to LGBTQ EIO athletes. Mental harm through chicken sandwiches. Okay. Writer Sid Ziegler says the Christian-owned restaurant is demeaning LGBTQ people by supporting organizations devoted to God's design for sexual intimacy through the context of marriage. The story headline reads, Chick-fil-A participation in sports is a big fuck you to gay people. Ziegler said he couldn't get past Chick-fil-A's donations totaling millions of dollars to the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, an organization that actively demeans LGBTQ people, invalidates our relationship, and brings untold mental harm to gay, lesbian, bi, and queer athletes. The LGBTQ pressure groups, such Christian organizations, aren't living out their faith. They're doubling down on the support of anti-LGBT causes, one of which direct, takes direct aim at gay, lesbian, and bisexual and queer athletes. Such faith-based beliefs shouldn't be shouldn't see the light of day in public. To Ziegler, Chick-fil-A sponsorship of the Peach Bowl, an event like the Pittsburgh Marathon, represents a sport world that puts money over the well-being of a demographic whose suicide rate and the rate of self-harm should be alarming to everyone. 
Well, you know, it's probably because it's a mental illness, and it's not as alarming as the 22-a-day mental veterans, but I don't see anybody saying we shouldn't have a fucking armed service bowl, you fucking idiots. I digress. As if Chick-fil-A is responsible for the individual decision made by people (laughs) to harm themselves. Siegler mocked Chick-fil-A for being so religious that its restaurants are banned from opening on Sunday, the Lord's Day. Now there's tolerance. Fellowship of Christian Athletes, an anti-gay organization, he writes, in a nine-point statement of faith makes it very clear that gay people are to remain celibate. They're not allowed to marry and they're not welcome. This is 2018 after all and heaven forbid anybody follow the anarchic beliefs of the Bible. Oh, I'm not going to read anymore. Oh, I'll read the ending. Ziegler promised not to watch the Peach Bowl until Chick-fil-A abandons his financial support of the anti-LGBT groups like FCA. That's a shame, he says, because sports should unite people instead of dividing them. Christians just need to chill out and abandon their worldview while he lives his out. And that's the deal. Yeah, that's it. Unbelievable. The guy said one statement when asked. He didn't bash gays. They employ gays. What? And once again, if you can have your far, far left worldview, why can't people be religious? I mean, I know the left hates God, but goddamn. Move over, friends. Millennials now find Seinfeld, Seinfeld, excuse me, problematic. Now, one of the most popular and successful TV shows of all time is considered problematic for several jokes that were okay or a little edgy in 1990 that are now offensive to Americans. The previous victim of this new political correct world was Friends. Now, Seinfeld is getting the social justice warrior treatment. In an article for Bustle, just before the new year, writer Angelica Florio details 13 jokes from nine-season show that are unacceptable to today's standards. Number one on the list is possibly the most well-known joke, Soup Nazi, which I know nothing about because I never watched Seinfeld. Sorry, wasn't the, that, that just wasn't my thing. What might be the most well-known joke from Seinfeld is also one of its most disappointing ones. Maybe in 1995 when the episode titled Soup Nazi aired, it felt okay for viewers, but in 2018 when groups of neo-Nazis have become noticeably emboldened using the term Nazi to label someone as a joke doesn't sit so well anymore, she wrote. It's not the fault of Seinfeld that the media 20 years later gave constant attention to a small group of radicals and gave them outsized importance. It's also not Seinfeld's fault that the media has made the term Nazi meaningless because it used the label on anyone to the right of Nancy Pelosi. (laughs) The second example on our list refers to an episode that itself points out how problematic Jerry Seinfeld's character is acting. It's the episode with the cigar store Indian in which Jerry is trying to date a woman and finds out she's Native American and can't stop using stupid terms that refer to her heritage like Indian giver. The episode itself points out how terrible Jerry is for doing this. The article also mentions an episode that was controversial when it came out in 98. Everyone, once in a while, this happens with TV shows. Family Guy has gone through it several times. Other entities on the list harken back to the problems today's writer had with friends, mainly claims the show was homophobic for jokes that are no longer acceptable. No jokes are acceptable now, so it's really pointless to even act like any comedy is still allowed. Other problematic jokes include, if I like their race, how can 
if I like their race, how can that be racist and insensitive joke about other people's appearances? Sadly, Bustle is not the first to condemn Seinfeld for jokes that are no longer acceptable. The Guardian wrote a piece in 2017. We just need to purge everything. Purge everything. Take all of it out. If Amazon or Netflix airs it, they need to be boycotted. We just we need to go back to right think. It's all right think. It's how I started the show. The very people that tell us we're horrible for wrong think can get blasted on national TV. Talk about steaming their vaginas. But you... You shut your fucking dirty mouth. What exactly is especially stupid bird box challenge trending on social media? We talked about it last podcast. Good movie. The internet capacity to bring out the stupid people just got another boost this week with the arrival of the bird box challenge. The bird box challenge refers to the hit Netflix original film film bird box starring Santa Bullock in which people wear blindfolds folds to avoid supernatural entities that make people commit suicide by merely seeing them. The viral social media challenge, fueled by the hashtag, hashtag #BirdBoxChallenge, invites people to film themselves taking part in everyday tasks with blindfolds. Tasks like using the escalator, operating a scooter, dancing. Some video posted online feature people doing relatively benign activities such as combing their hair. Others carry potential for serious injury from the Daily Mail. Footage posted online shows a woman paddling with two young children in a bathtub and a man traversing through his backyard while his excited husky puppy joins, jumps on him. But other Bird Box Challenge videos have also emerged to show the not-so-safe side of things. One video shows a father gripping his two young children's hand as he runs through his home before the tr- toddler crashes into a wall. What is wrong with people? I just don't understand. Why why would you do this? Why? It's like that stupid Drake song of people getting out of their cars and falling down, almost getting run over. Jesus. To our crazy crimes. Passenger strips naked, walks around plane, experience mental trauma after alleged workplace harassment by boss. It's all on video. It's like me getting naked. Nobody wants to see it. A state is on the verge of legalizing human composting. Yeah, Washington. And it's not what you think. It's ashes. Eh, that's pretty good. Fake porn videos are being weaponized to harass and humiliate. I guess, you know, um, people are photoshopping exes into porn videos, and they're all online. And women are getting abused by it. That's the article in a nutshell. It's the next big thing you watch. And lastly, this comes from 2018. But I think it's a good way to fucking sum up the year. Because it was a pretty crazy year. As stated, I had a good year. But yeah, this is pretty fucked up. And funny. 2018 ends with insane taco sauce gunfire incident. Yet, let me read that again. Taco sauce gunfire incident. I don't know many people who aren't glad 2018 is officially over. It was an outrage, hysteria, disaster, and scandal-filled year, at least in the news cycle. So what more appropriate way to end out 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 of control 2018 than with an insane missing taco sauce shooting incident? 
According to Oklahoma City Police, early on New Year's Eve, a man pulled up to a Taco Bell drive-thru to get some ultra-cheap Mexican-ish food. But when the restaurant employee failed to give him the taco sauce he requested, he went full 2018. From the report, a man was complaining about not getting enough sauce or not getting any sauce. It was very upset, says Sergeant Gary Knight of Oklahoma City Police Department. When he realized that he didn't have the sauce he ordered, the unhinged customer opened fire through the drive through window before charging inside. The terrified employees locked themselves in the bathroom. Reports that the employee said he was screaming about missing taco sauce. The suspect then entered the business, got out, and came out inside the business. The employees locked themselves in the bathroom. After this brief rampage, the enraged customer just walked out. He apparently left, Knight said. It's unclear exactly what he did while he was in there, because they were hiding. The incident ended without any reported injury to employees who stayed in the bathroom during the gunman's herring in-store visit. Though none of the employees were shot, Knight stressed that the situation was clearly very dangerous. Anytime you got people inside of a business and some person decides for whatever reason to fire bullets into a business, makes for a very dangerous situation, Mr. Obvious, Sergeant Knight says. I mean, it's one thing to do the Danny, the uh, Joe Pesci meltdown about they fuck you in the drive-thru, but to literally go shoot motherfuckers over some hot sauce, get a fucking grip. Like this, from HuffPo, as we go out to our lighter fare, HuffPo decided to show us all an all-male cheerleading squad because they're challenging gender norms. Yeah, that's how they started off the new year on HuffPo. We really would like to make people think how is a man supposed to behave, how is a man supposed to dance, and that's what we're also trying to do with our performances. We realize that we need uh, outfits which um, kind of show our masculinity in other life, which was very tight pants, very shiny pants. Also the leg warmers, which have a kind of an 80s aerobic um, outfit, but also with our leg warmers. And then we, we choose the outfit and actually ordered it a bit smaller so that it fits very well. really intense, so there were 4,000 people in the crowd and 80 songs usually were the best, so there were 4,000 people singing total eclipse of the heart with us, that was an amazing feeling. That was a train wreck. I think I'll sum, sum it up by Will um, Oil Guns America. Did you just assume their gender, you fucking Nazis? Also on there was a tweeter who literally said, You'll only be happy when all males identify as females. And, and that's what we just talked about. That, that's where they're at. That, that's where they want to go. They are so caught up in this that last year I somehow missed it. Um, the spectator this year, 
did New Year's resolutions for white cis men. Ones we need to make in 2019. And I guess in 2017, and I think I played on the end show, but I, I don't know. Uh, there was 2017 New Year's resolution for white guys by this black militant, which started with Blue Lives Matter isn't a thing. So, you know, I, I'm sure I played it. But uh, the, the Spectator's article, the time has come for white men to rep- repent and repay us for all the wrongs they have done. The following three resolutions I have taken the liberty of composing would be a good place to start. Rita Panahi, blue check reporter, sage advice from Godfrey, the wokest genderqueer Muslim atheist who identifies as black rhino you'll read today. It's superb. I don't know if she's serious or she's not, but we're going to read it. As a genderqueer Muslim atheist who identifies as black, I'm often abused by bigots, usually white cis males, who bombard me with hate speech such as, what the fuck does trans race mean? That's not hate speech. That's not a question. What the fuck does it mean, dick? How can you be a Muslim and an atheist? That makes no sense. And sort your hair out, you stupid hipster twat. You look like a fucking nonce. That last one was said to me by my father, a boorish brute of a man, who would often make scathing remarks at me as I was growing up, and even went so far as to buy me a 32 gigabyte iPhone on Christmas, which he took out Christmas because he doesn't like Christ, I guess. When he knew I wanted a 64 gigabyte one. This is a grown man. Okay. That kind of abuse leaves a mark why white cis males have a lot to apologize for when it comes to the current state of the world. When you think about it, the worst atrocities in history have been inflicted by these privileged despots. Hitler, Trump. Yeah, that's what he said. Suraman the White, the clue is the name. Adam Sandler. All deeply problematic individuals. The time has come for white men to repent and repay us for all the wrongs they have done. The following three resolutions of taking liberty composing would be a good place. Listen to women. This is very important. White cis males need to sit the F down and start listening. No matter how relentless hyperbolic Kathy Griffin's tweet about Trump come across, no matter how provably factually inaccurate Lori Penny's outburst regarding the gender pay gap might be, no matter how pointless Lena Dunham's very existence may seem to you, the job of a white male is to simply pay attention, the non-say, well done for being brave enough to bring this subject to my attention. I apologize for what I am, and I promise to do better in the future. Please take a large annual percentage of my earnings from here on in, and reparate for the terrible wrongs my particularly toxic brand of white patriarchy has exposed you to. This is all we ask. Not much, is it? Quit mansplaining. White men are incapable of communicating in a way that does not inflict their pernicious maleness upon every woman present. I remember the first time I encountered this phenomenon. I was around six years old. The jets in our jacuzzi had stopped working. My mother called a plumber turned up within an hour to have a look at it. As soon as he barged in our home, he was mansplaining to my mother about how there was a crack in one of the pipes and then began boasting he could fix it with some epoxy resin and had the gall to say he was sure he'd have it sorted by lunchtime. I was godsmacked. 
Even at the tender age of six, I knew he had crossed the line. I marched up to him and loudly proclaimed that my mother was capable of a woman more than equipped to understand the intricacies of underfloor drainage and watertight gaskets and advised him to take his arrogant attitude elsewhere. He merely shrugged at me and chuckled as if words meant nothing to him. I was mortified and spent the next three weeks crying in my room. The violence of this mocking laughter will still ringing in the ears. The truth is, mansplaining assumes that women are unempowered and treats them as weak and inferior. It reduced my mother to a pitiful wreck of a human being that day, incapable of standing up on her own flesh and blood. Remember your privilege. Your privilege should be the first thing you're aware of when you wake up in the morning and the last thing you chastise yourself for falling asleep at night. Apologize for it every day available opportunity. For example, when ordering your skinny macchiato at Starbucks, you should, could fully give your name to the barista. A white male fully aware of my advantage he has had in life compared to women and minorities and deeply ashamed of the violence of his ancestors. And then offer a by every minority in the establishment a blueberry muffin after first checking in dietary requirements and mending the order accordingly. You won't earn any respect for this, nor do you deserve any, but it might may go some small way to ease the social tensions that Trump and Brexit have stirred up in this past few years. I do not, of course, include white trans men in any of this, because although they are obviously real men in every sense, that's not even up for debate. They are not problematic types of white men. I don't know if he's serious or it's tongue-in-cheek. By his other writings, he writes with humor but his point is there. Which brings me to my favorite article. 2019. Year of the woke. Wokes colds. 2018 was a chaotic year. It was a chaotic year for the markets, domestic and international politics, and for social mores. 2019 promises more of the same. If the end of the prior year was any indicator, and it promises something else, the continued rise of wokes colds. Wokes colds are the new representative of moral panic. We've been seeing plenty of moral panic before in the United States, from worries about violent video games, concerns about allegations of sex abuse at daycare facilities, but never have we been moral panic of stunning breadth of today's woke moral panic. It's a moral panic that insists we change fundamentally characteristics of our society, from biology to language to politics to religion to romantic relationships to art to comedy. We're told that if we fail to rewrite biology to suggest there are more than two sexes, or if we don't use preferred pronouns rather than biology, biological ones, we will inevitably create emotional and mental instability among certain vulnerable groups. We're told that if we fail to silence members of our groups who haven't suffered sufficiently in the United States, we will be contributing to the perpetuation of power hierarchies that target minorities. We're told that if we don't force religious people to violate their own standards in order to cater to those engaging in what they consider to be sinful activity, we will be bolstering religious oppression. We're told that the only proper type of sexual relationship is one initiated via contractual levels of affirmative consent rather than mere affirmative body language or acquiescence. We're told that Baby It's Cold Outside and Philadelphia Story are deeply troubling hallmarks of our sexist past. Modern rap replete with brutal degradation of women is just fine in case you were wondering. And we're told that if we consider politically incorrect jokes funny, we're strengthening regressive stereotypes. We fail to abide by these new structures. We will be attacked by the woke's colds. These woke inquisitors have apparently mastered the ever-shifting dynamics of leftist power politics and are willing to scour everyone's online history and interpersonal relationships for signs of heresy. One 
once such heresy is, un- is uncovered, the woke's cold truly go to work. They demand apologies from the supposed sinners and boycotts of those who refuse to dissociate from them. They discourage decent people from speaking up. Better to stay silent so as to avoid the wrath of the woke's colds. These wokes cold deliberately pick marginal cases, cases on which good people may be split. This allows the wokes cold to consistently narrow the boundaries of safety for those who disagree with them. The latest victim, Louis C.K., now C.K., has a reprehensible personal history. By his own admission, he used his position of fame and power to lure a pro up-and-coming female comedian backstage where he would ask them to watch him touch himself. C.K. has apologized for that behavior, but now is back on the road and he's beginning to make jokes again. This may not be allowed, particularly when his jokes are about such taboo topics as gender pronouns and the alleged expertise conferred by experiencing tragedy. And so C.K. has been pronounced unwoke. See, before his Me Too movement, he was sufficiently politically leftist to avoid the woke's cold wrath. After all, he once called Sarah Palin a cunt. But now C.K. must pay the price for not being sufficiently woke. Those who watch his comedy must be shamed, and we must suggest that he is no longer funny. Now the difference between being funny and being funny is that when you're funny, everyone knows it. When you're funny, as defined by critics, you don't have to be funny. You just have to be woke, like the awful, unfunny Hannah Gadsby. Real humor requires only satisfying the woke's colds. We've all just been misdefining comedy for a few millennia. It is all, if all of this sounds dull, obnoxious, and frustrating, that's because it is. And while the woke's cold may win temporary victories, those victories will surely be perarch. As it turns out, we tend to like our biology, language, politics, religion, romantic relationships, art, and comedy. The woke's cold will certainly lose, but not before they destroy a lot of people and fray the social fabric nearly beyond repair. That was a great article by Mr. Ben Shapiro. And he's right. All of this is set up by them with rules made by social media companies, the mainstream media. But these next two sound bites, well, I'm just going to play the first one. The first one sums up how the hypocrisy of the left is on display daily. This is a U.S. House of Representative member at an NAACP convention, and he's talking about how we're dying off. White people. The same trend towards authoritarian rule, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, is playing out right here at home where Americans elected an authoritarian, anti-immigrant, racist, strong man to the nation's highest office. Donald Trump and his Make America Great Again followers who want to return America back to a time when white men and white privilege were unchallenged and where minorities and women were in their place These folks now control the highest office of the land. Donald Trump's supporters are older, less educated, less prosperous, and they are dying early. Their lifespans are decreasing, and many are dying from alcoholism, drug overdoses, liver disease, 
or simply a broken heart caused by economic despair. Now, no white politician would ever get up and say something like that. But if a white politician was to get up and say that African-Americans are killing themselves off with a rampant amount of abortions they're having in inner cities, considering that over 50, 60 percent of all abortions done at Planned Parenthood are African-American, Latino and people of color. Would that bring on the social media or social justice warriors? Oh, you know it would. It would just blow the fuck up. It would be unacceptable that a white person or any conservative said those words. Just conservative. It could be Tim Scott, an African-American who has every right to say it. And he has. And he's been crushed for it. But it's all in the prism of liberalism. Remember, we're told daily by Chuck Toad, Jake Tapper and the rest, that there is no bias in our media. They're just reporting the facts. I want you to listen to the first soundbite out of Don Lemon in 2019. This is CNN Tonight. I'm Don Lemon. Happy New Year, everyone. We're just hours away from the Democrats' takeover of the House. With the clock ticking to the start of day 13 of the partial government shutdown. Hours away from a whole new reality for this president when Nancy Pelosi officially takes the reins. But the speaker-to-be is wasting no time flexing her muscles over President, Trump, president Trump's pet project, telling NBC she'll give, quote, nothing for the wall. And saying this after congressional leaders met with the president about the shutdown behind closed doors in the White House Situation Room. We're asking the president to open up government. We are giving him a Republican path to do that. Why would he not do it? Why would he not do it? Why? Simple. A source telling CNN that Senator Chuck Schumer asked the president not once, not twice, but three times to give him just one good reason that he won't take the Democrats' offer. The president's response? Quote, I would look foolish if I did that. That should probably be the least of this president's worries. Like I said, the clock is ticking. As of tomorrow, his party will no longer have total control of the government. He will no longer have a majority in the House. And Democrats are salivating at the idea that they could eat his lunch. That is almost giddy. Now, this man on New Year's Eve said he has to talk about politics all the time, and it just gets really painful to talk about politics. It's really hard all my life. It's, it's nice to uncork. I don't have to talk about politics. He actually said those words. So either he's like Allison Camerata and he's acting, or he's a liar. But if somebody ever was to go on Fox News and be vapid and breathless over the takeover of the House by Sean Boehner, it would make Media Matters lose their mind. Brian Seltzer would lose his mind. It would be inappropriate. But that's how all this happens. This all happens because of our media. 
They are so invested in the liberal cause and liberal ideology, they push this. They continually push this down on the country. And they are the biggest supporter of what Ben Shapiro calls woke's colds. I don't really know what that's all about, but I love the article, but I don't, don't like the title. They support it. They're the ones doxing people. They're the ones digging in and trying to get anybody who doesn't or who dares have wrong think destroyed in their lives. They allow conservative women to be crushed like Brie from the Federalist. It's okay. When you know the opposite was done, it would be front page news. We had an election in our country where a radio personality was said to be the leader of the Republican Party and he called a woman a slut. That was the lead off on every nightly news. It was during Obama. When right now, you could point at MSD and and NBC and ABC and CBS this morning and goddamn CNN and you could say Without a leader in the Democratic Party, they have become the opposition party. There was rarely a few things in 2018 that I agreed with that Donald Trump said on his Twitter account. It got annoying. I've said it over and over. He needs to stop. But he's right. They are the opposition. They carry the banner of all the religious fucking causes that they carry on with from climate change to gender as a construct to race as a construct they're the ones carrying it so 19 started like 18 which started like 17 it's all changed since 16 the moment their pick didn't win we're still dealing with this And if anything, the culture war, as what's-his-name used to say on Fox, has gotten worse. It just seems like a never-ending tirade of culture and trying to kill anything that's normal. And I think it's showcased and shout your abortion to kids and some publisher is so pressured by the gay mafia that they're going to put children books out on abortion to normalize the murder of a child. That is some sick fucking shit. And this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends and send emails about comments or suggestions for segments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOP. Podcast gmail.com. Get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Check out the Flyover Politic webpage at FOPPODCAST.com, FOPPodcast.com. I'm actually going to try to do a link or a, a blog there. Uh, I only got till March to do it, but I'm going to try to get one out because there you'll see our blogs, links to our email and our Facebook page, and of course a link to every episode on the episode release page. Our next show will be next. Tuesday, 
the 8th of January, year of our Lord, 2019. Going to get some other subjects going. Yeah. I'm going to try to do a segment next week. I want to do a segment. I haven't done a segment in so long, I don't know. And I thought about just doing a hypocrisy. Maybe scrubbing the fire for effect for one episode. But it, those were the show a long time ago. It used to be Friday show was totally different than the Daily Show. And I might unearth that bad boy. But please send an email if you got any ideas. Uh, a lot of listens to the end of year. I saw like 80, uh, 84 listens. So that's pretty cool. Um, but this year, once again, please contribute. Give me ideas. Give me segments you want to hear. Every suggestion gets keyed back to the person. And it gets carried. Enjoy your weekend this weekend with your family. If you're like me, you're trying to stay warm. It's a little chilly outside. And as always, disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah, yeahs. It's a short ride. Spend it with your family. And tune back in next Tuesday for another exciting episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Thanks for listening, folks. And take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Remember to check out our website at foppodcast.com. And remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count.